www.nova.org. CSIS and Syracuse University's Maxwell School. Accepting applications for their D.C.-based 18-month Executive Master's in International Relations for professionals seeking career advancement. More at CSIS.org slash EMIR. This is WAMU Washington. We're your listener-supported NPR news station from American University in HD at 88.5 at WRAU 88.3 Ocean City on your smart speaker and online at WAMU.org. It's 7 o'clock. It's Sunday, it's 7, and it's such a pleasure to welcome you to the big broadcast, Radio Theater from WAMU 88.5. Hi, everybody. I'm Murray Horwitz, and tonight we get to play you some surprises, and you get to show your support. It's our membership week, and in addition to Gunsmoke, Dragnet, The Halls of Ivy, The Man with the Action-Packed Expense Account, and a Lux Radio Theater salute to the centennial of the Broadway and Hollywood star Alexis Smith, we'll hear highlights of our big weekly feature this summer, the legendary 1981 NPR blockbuster radio series, Star Wars. So go right now to WAMU.org and click on Donate or call 800-248-8850 and make your gift now so you can relax, free yourself from feelings of guilt, abandon any worries from last week or the week to come, and give full reign to your imagination here on your Sunday Night Oasis, The Big Broadcast. Yes, it's our member week, and that means tonight's your only chance to give to the station that brings you the big broadcast during the big broadcast. So go right now to WAMU.org to show your support while we welcome our co-producer, Jill Arold Bailey. Hello, Jill. Hello, Murray, and hello, everyone. I'm so glad to be joining you here on the big broadcast tonight. You know... There's such a spirit of optimism as we all emerge from the last extraordinary and dreadful 15 months. And we're optimistic tonight because it's your support that's been unwavering all during this past year. We've relied on you more than on any other source to keep these shows coming. The big broadcast, weekend edition, hot jazz Saturday night, and all the independent news that you rely on so thanks a million or even a thousand or a hundred or whatever you can give by going to wamu.org and clicking on donate or calling 1-800-248-8850 that number again is 1-800-248-8850 that's the number that you can call right now during the big broadcast 
We have an exciting show for you tonight, as we hope we do every Sunday night. <laughs> we work to have for you every Sunday night. But one particularly exciting thing about tonight is we are giving you a sneak listen to our upcoming Star Wars series that we series that we will be airing throughout the summer. There's more on that to come. And um, it is but, exciting. <laughs> and it is exciting. And there is a special bonus gift that you'll hear more about after the break. But if you go right now to wamu.org or call 1-800-248-8850, you can hear more about the special Big Broad Star Wars bonus gift. So, Murray? We're relying on you, and we're feeling lucky tonight. And as America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator knows, it helps to be lucky. Case in point, the morning after matter. Here's part one of that March 12th, 1961 episode of the CBS series, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar. Mr. Dollar, this is Timothy Hanley. Hanley? That's right, Amalgamated Life Association. I see. I need your services. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Hanley. Will you run down here and see me right away? Well, Mr. Hanley, I was just about to leave here and grab a plane for New York. Fine, fine. From there, I'm heading south to one of my favorite fishing spots in South Carolina where I... What was that? I said fine. I'll expect you in a couple of hours then. Well, no, no, I'm, uh, I'm going fishing. I'm on my way to South Carolina. We're at 505th Avenue. Uh, Mr. Know. Hanley. I'll be here waiting for you, Mr. Dollar. Uh, now listen, will you? Mr. Hanley? Hanley? Hello? Oh, fine. The CBS Radio Network brings you Bob Reddick in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account... America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Amalgamated Life Association, New York City office. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the morning after matter. I wasn't kidding. After breaking my neck over more than my share of tough cases during a long, hard winter, I felt entitled to a few days of relaxation, of fishing, at the old Arundel Plantation down near Georgetown, South Carolina. So what if this Timothy Hanley did have some problem requiring investigation? Important enough to call off a well-deserved fishing trip? Not for me. Okay, then, expense account item one is $11 for a cab to Bradley Field and a plane to New York. Item two, when I got there, is five eighty-five for a taxi into Penn Station for my train to South Carolina. But then, sucker that I am. Well, item three is a dollar even for another cab. This one to five hundred Fifth Avenue in the office of Amalgamated Life. Uh, go right in, please, Mister Dollar. Mister Hanley is expecting. Well, thanks. All right now, Mr. Henley. Mr. Dollar, good, good. I'm glad you got here so promptly. Sit down, please. Yes, but as I told you over the phone... Mrs. Bromberg should be here any moment now. In the meantime... I'm just passing through, Mr. Henley. In the meantime, I can tell you why she insisted I call you in on the case. Look, I am on my way south to go fishing. And with all the other insurance investigators available, I... Brownberg, did you say? That's right. The wife of Phineas Brownberg. You remember the case, don't you? Brownberg. 
He disappeared about seven years ago. Of course you remember. The flyer, wasn't he? He flew his own private plane, if that's what you mean. And heaven knows he could afford to. He was quite wealthy for a while. Yeah, yeah, I remember now. Made a big pile on Wall Street and then suddenly lost it. Or most of it. And then took off on his plane and was never seen again. Precisely. He suffered complete amnesia. Complete loss of memory just before his sudden departure. No doubt a result of his staggering losses on the market. Yeah. His plane was found some days later on a ridge on the far side of Alleghenies. But as for Brownberg himself... uh, Yeah, as I recall, they never found his body or any sign of it. Exactly. In other words, lacking any definite proof of death... Well, payment of the insurance has been held up all these years. How much insurance? Something over $600,000. Wow. And the beneficiary? His wife. Lita Spencer Brownberg, who should be here any minute. Well, Mr. Henley, did you get him? Uh, Mrs. Brownberg? Is this man Johnny Dollar? Uh, yes, this is Mr. Johnny Dollar. How do you do, Mrs. Brownberg? Sit down, young man, and let me tell you something. Sit down. Yeah, dollar. All right. Now then, you've got to find my husband. And you've got to find him before this coming Wednesday. Oh, why before Wednesday, Mrs. Brownberg? Well, I, I was just about to tell... Never her. mind, Hanley, I'll tell him. Very well. It's because of that hearing in court this coming Wednesday. If you don't find Thaddeus, or if he doesn't recover his senses and come back here, you'll be pronounced legally dead. In which case, I understand you'll collect some $600,000 insurance. And, well, I can use it. When he went out of his head and didn't even know his own name that night. Do you know there was less than $100,000 in our joint bank account? That I've had to scrape and skimp ever since? Oh, if our lovely home in Upper Montclair hadn't been in my name so I could sell it. I just don't know how I could have got along all this time. I see. Real tough, hmm? Terrible. Just terrible. Well, this may sound a little out of order, Mrs. Brownberg. Well... Well, things won't be nearly so distressing for you if the court says he's legally dead, will they? How can you talk like that? Do you think for one minute that money could ever take the place of my beloved Thaddeus? But if you've asked the court to take action... I have not. That's the doings of this cold-blooded insurance company. Uh, that's if not I hadn't precise. found out about it, about demanding this court action... You've told us many times you'd like the money, Mrs. Brownberg. Well, of course I would. Yeah, and we don't like to keep these open allegations on our books any longer than necessary. Cold-blooded, that's all. Yeah, and when it's become obvious, there's no longer any hope, any chance whatsoever. Uh, if the police haven't been able to get anywhere after all these years... Is that any reason why you can't find Thaddeus, Mr. Dollar? Well, it's a pretty good indication. It's an indication of nothing. I know all about you, Johnny Dollar. Mrs. Brownberg. About the almost miraculous way you solve these cases. Mrs. Brown. Here is a picture of Thaddeus. As you can see, Mr. Dollar, he was a rather younger man. I beg your pardon? What? Is that a snide implication that Thad was younger than I am? Well, I didn't say that, Mrs. Brown. He was 54 when he disappeared. Now, you have to find him, Mr. Dollar, before Wednesday. Please. Mr. Hanley can tell you where to bring him to me. Wow. Uh, yes. And yet, Mr. Dollar, if there's anything you can do, that is... You mean to uh, save your company from having to pay out all that money? Well, of course, we'll have to pay it out sometime, but it's our duty as an insurance company to... 
Huh? What is it? This picture. Yes. I wonder. You you mean you might have some idea where to look for him? Dollar? I said I wonder, that's all. Mr. Dollar. Uh, just, um... Let me think about it, huh? What is it that... What is it that Johnny sees... Well, I'd say we'll find out right after this break, but I'm not sure even he knows. So while you're waiting for part two of that late winter adventure from 1961, The Morning After Matter, from yours truly, Johnny Dollar, you're not doing anything for the next few minutes. Why not grab a piece of paper or the forearm of your spouse or partner or child and jot down this number, 800-248-8850. That's 800 800- Two four eight eighty eight fifty, or go to wamu.org on your computer or phone or tablet. Click on Donate. It's Member Week, the only appearance of the big broadcast during this Member Week and the only opportunity you have to show your support for the big broadcast during the big broadcast. I'm Murray Horwitz. With me is our cherished co-producer, Jill Errold Bailey. And Jill, what do we want the listener to know? Well, listeners, what we want you to know is that you are a part of this. You are here listening to the big broadcast and you are continuing in a long legacy of listeners listening to the big broadcast over the years. And the reason that is true is because listeners before you have called in to 1-800-248-8850 or they before the days of internet, they probably wrote, sat down and wrote us a letter. Um, but you can join some listeners like Sandra tonight from Falls Church, Lawrence from Arlington, Meg from Reston, Joseph from Centerville. Thank you so much. You're joining them and a long, long line of listeners who have stepped up. And that's why we are here and we hope to continue to be here on Sunday night, your Sunday night oasis as Murray introduces the show every Sunday evening. Um, and again, you can choose a level that works for you. These listeners who stepped up tonight, these new members, that's what they did. They chose $9 a month. They chose $10 a month. Um, they figured out what they could step forward with. And that's what we're asking you to do. Tonight, right now in this moment, as you're listening, call 1-800-248-8850. And, you know, we talked about the excitingness of the series that starts next week. As as, uh, Jill said, we're going to give you a sneak uh, audio preview, a sneak listen tonight (laughs) to Star Wars, the legendary series that celebrates its 40th anniversary this year. We're going to be playing it all summer long. And for the first 200 people who call 800-248-8850 or go online to wamu.org. We have a very special gift for you. Jill, please tell them about it while they call 800-248-8850. All right. You may have seen a picture of this or a video if you go onto our Facebook page, um, but there is a fabulous limited edition big broadcast Star Wars sticker. It is holographic, so you kind of have an extra zing to your bling. Um, it's only <laughs> for the first 200 members, and you do get it automatically. So when you go on to wamu.org or you call 1-800-248-8850, 
You may choose a, a level of giving that works for you. You may choose a, a thank you gift from us to you. And automatically, if you're one of these first 200 people, you will get the five inch holographic sticker. It is large. It is, it's really beautiful. The rainbows that glisten from it. And it has a nice um, R2D2 slash radio on the front of it. So to see it in person, really the best way is, is to make your, your gift tonight and be one of the first 200 people. So again, call 1-800-248-8850 or go on to wamu.org. And it is big. It's a, like five inches or something, this sticker. You can use it on, put it on your laptop. You can put it on your, you can cover the face of somebody whom you don't like. I mean, they're all, anyway, it's really great. And R2-D2's uh, dome bears an extraordinary resemblance to the back of my head. This is where we say thank you to the community of WAMU members and invite you new listeners and supporters to join the team, really, that makes public radio possible. It is our way of saying thank you. You made us prosper in a way, or at least stay on on the air and, and, and keep giving you what you've come to count on, the independent news during the week, the programs on the weekend that add variety to your life on the weekend. Um, it's only really because of, of listeners. Listeners became a much, much bigger proportion of uh, WAMU's budget during the last year. And now we need to take baby steps back into a kind of new abnormal, just as you're taking baby steps into your new life. We need to expand. We need to build on that record. So you can help us build by going right now to WAMU.org and clicking on Donate or call one 800 248 8850, that number again, 1-800-248-8850. And you may already be a member. And if you are a member and you have helped us through this this past year, this pandemic time, and before that, we thank you. And you may look at your commitment now and say, you know, now I can I can increase that a little bit. I'm, I'm coming out. I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm a member and I want to increase my membership just a little bit. As, as Mary said, you know, the baby steps that kind of take you there. And maybe you are have been a listener during this time and you have not been a member yet. And this is your your opportunity during member week to step up, be part of the team. As Murray said, we're a, a very tight knit, loving community here on the big broadcast on Sunday nights. And we want you to be a part of that. So, again, call 1-800-248-8850 or go online to WAMU.org. Once again, 800-248-8850. 8850, or you can give online at WAMU.org while you're listening to the conclusion of The Morning After Matter, a title that'll make sense by the time the show's over, from March of 1961 in the CBS series, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Well, what about that snapshot of Thaddeus Brownberg? Well, sir? But I'm not sure, Mr. Hanley. Would you call it a good likeness of him as of the last time you saw him? Yes, excellent. Despite the costume, the surroundings... I wish that background looked familiar. But the face... Well, you've seen it somewhere? Recently? Well, there's something very familiar about it, at least... Well, I don't know. After all, Mr. Hanley, with all the traveling I do from one end of the country to the other, all the people I meet... And if this was taken over seven years ago... Look, where does Mrs. Brownberg live now? 
533 East 52nd Street. All right. Call and tell her to stay there, that I'll go to see her in a little while. Meantime, if you need to get in touch with me, I'll be at police headquarters, 18th Street. Hey, now, wait, Mr. Dollar. Hey, what for? The police who know the most about this case are those over in New Jersey and Upper Montclair. They're the ones to go to for help. That's the kind of help I want. Item four, a buck for a cab to the 18th Precinct. As usual, my old pal, Lieutenant Randy Singer, was ready and willing to give me a hand, regardless of what my problem might be. And, as usual, I told him it was none of his business. But I only wanted one of his men in photo identification, a fellow named Billy Cross. I had him make some blow-ups of the face on the picture I had. I had him touch up that face to make it look the way it might look if it was seven years older. Add a beard or a mustache or both. Make the hair look gray instead of brown. Make it longer, shorter, parted differently. Worn in every conceivable way that it could be worn. Well, hours later, we were pushed. And I'm afraid I stared a little stupidly at the pile of over 50 variations on the face of Mr. Thaddeus Brownberg. Not one of them, Johnny? No, Billy, I'm afraid not. Except maybe for one of these with a beard, like this one, for instance. I'd almost swear that I've seen a man like this somewhere in my travels. Where? Wish I knew. Oh, Johnny, why don't you give up Nobody else thinks that Brownberg is still alive, or if he is, he's still suffering from that loss of memory, so he's not the same man he was. What good would it be if you did find him? When the case comes up in court day after tomorrow, they'll call him dead, the case will be closed, and that'll be that. Why don't you give up? Because I'm stubborn, I guess. Don't you see? The cops over in New Jersey, all over the country for that matter, did all they could to find him after his plane cracked up. I promised the insurance company and his wife what? That you'd perform a miracle? Forget it, Johnny. Run along on your fishing trip. Speaking of his wife, what time is it? It's nearly midnight. Holy smoke. I've got to get over there and see her. Johnny. Thanks, Billy. Thanks a lot. Even if it didn't get us anywhere. Item five, another buck for another cab. Well, poor Mrs. Brownberg. That apartment of hers turned out to be a penthouse, full of expensive furniture and draperies and rugs a couple of inches thick. While a sleepy-eyed maid hung my top coat next to a chinchilla wrap and a full-length mink coat, Mrs. Brownberg poured a much-needed drink. And then we sat down in the luxurious living room, and she yammered away about her poor, dear, sorely Asparius. And gave me just exactly no helpful information whatsoever about where and how to start looking for him. Oh, yes, Mr. Dollar. I just knew he was going to lose his mind someday, working as hard as he did to make money in the market all the time. The only recreation he ever had was his fishing trips now and then. About the background on that picture you gave me, do you know where he went fishing? No. Thaddeus never told me. He'd just take off in his plane and go. Oh, but in the hope that the dear, dear boy might still be alive. That he'd recover his memory and come back here sometime. Well, look. Let me show you the den I've had waiting for him. It's in here, Mr. Dollar. You see, if I had some idea where he liked to go when he was away. All over the country, I suppose. He never told me. But now, here's the den with all his... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's the matter? This fish on the wall, the stuffed one. It's from one of his trips. The last one before he disappeared. Well, did he... Do you know where he caught it? I told you, Mr. Dollar. I haven't the least idea. Well, I do. You do? Yes, I'm sure of it. And believe me, it's a place he'd surely go back to if he could. Mr. Dollar... Let me use your phone. 
Like all got Tim Hanley out of bed. And I'm still not quite sure that he really understood me. What did you say? Do I have to spell it out for you, Mr. Hanley? No, 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 not at all. Uh, and you're leaving? That's right. I'm leaving right now. And believe it or not, I'm going fishing. That mounted fish, that nice big lunker bass, could have come from only one place that I know of that I myself had fished. It was certainly a place that Thaddeus Brownberg, if he was still alive, would go back to. Item six is 206.50 for a cab to the airport, a jet to Los Angeles, plane from there to Las Vegas, Nevada. Item seven is 50 bucks deposit on a rental car. And shortly after noon, Pacific time, I pulled in the Lake Mojave Resort just above David Dam. I parked and tore on down to the dock just in time to keep Ham Pratt, the manager of the place, from stepping into his powerful outboard and taking off up the lake. Ham! Wait a minute! Ham! Glad to see you again. Well, how are you, Ham? I'm glad I caught you. Well, how are you, boy? I'm great, great. Only, where, where's your fishing tackle? Or, uh, who are you looking for this time? Well, now, listen, listen. Look, look here at this picture. No, 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 this one. The one with the beard painted on it. So? Now, Ham, I've seen this man before. Maybe somewhere on this lake. You know, on one of my fishing trips out here. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if you have. You know his name? I mean, what he calls himself? Calls himself Ted Benham. Benham? Nice old guy. Been fishing around here some six, seven years. Six or seven years, hmm? Yeah, I don't know much about his background, where he came from. And I've heard people say that he doesn't know much about it himself. Because of amnesia. What? He's here at the resort? No, he stays at the uh, the Cottonwood Cove at Bob Cole's place. Kind of permanent resident, I understand. And he's there now? Well, no, I don't know. But there's one way to find out. Right. Crank her up and let's go. As always, that drive up the lake made me want to be there for only one reason. To fish. For one of those big, beautiful fighting bass. But I had to find Thaddeus Brownberg if he was here. And sure enough, when Ham had me off at Bob Cole's place on Cottonwood Cove, there about to enter one of the modern trailers that served as cabin. Mr. Brownberg! Oh, wait a minute, Mr. Brownberg! Are you speaking to me, young man? You bet I am. My name is Benham. Ted Benham. No, it isn't. I'm a sort of guide here about. Well, let's go into your trailer where we can talk. Oh, wait. Now, I've... I've seen your picture, and... And your voice is very familiar. You've seen me here on the lake. Maybe heard my voice on the your radio. Your name is... Dollar. Johnny Dollar. That's right. I suppose I was more or less expecting you sooner or later. Let's go inside and talk. He poured us a drink, and we talked. He was a real decent sort, the kind of a man I like. And far too good for that shrew of a wife. But he stubbornly maintained that he was Ted Benham. He also claimed he remembered nothing of his life before he came to Lake Mojave. That is, until I suggested maybe I should take a set of his fingerprints to the police back in New York. All right, all right, Mr. Dollar. Suppose I tell you that I knew this Thaddeus Brownberg. But I knew him very well. Now, that's better. Now, go on. Suppose I tell you that he never suffered from amnesia at all. You mean it was a bluff? And that he lost most of his fortune d- deliberately. Well, why? 
Another drink? Thanks. True, he had the knack of making money, and he hoped to build up a measure of security for these... for his later years. But his wife, extravagant, spending everything she could get her hands on, kept demanding and getting because he thought she loved him. Kept demanding more and more and more. She didn't want him. She only wanted his money. I see. Your drink. Thanks. Now go on, Mr. Um... Go on. Drink is all right? Yes, fine. Please go on. Her only reason for wanting around Mr. Dollar was so that he could build up another fortune for her to go through. He finally realized this. Realized that she didn't love him. And realized that he could be free of her, free of the nerve-wracking fight to make money for her. And at the same time, provide well for her. By a disappearing act. Well, look at it this way. If he were legally dead, as he will be after the court hearing tomorrow, he'd no longer exist. Thaddeus Brownberg would no longer exist as far as she's concerned, as far as he himself is concerned. And nothing would be really lost. She'd be well off. He'd have his freedom. Now, look. And so if he could be let alone until after that hearing tomorrow... Don't you see, Mr. Dollar? I know. I, um... I don't blame you. I'm, I'm... I'm sorry, old man, but I got a... I got a job to do. And... Before that here... That here... I just... Well, what did you... Put in this... Uh, Drink. Plenty, Mr. Dollar. Plenty. You're not going to get away. I remember waking once, my throat burning with thirst. I remember his giving me another drink and passing out again. And then, years later, it seemed, the smell and taste of hot, strong coffee. And I came to slowly, but completely. A little more coffee, Dollar, and how about some food now? After all, it's breakfast time. Breakfast time? It's also Thursday. Oh, my head. I'm sorry, but that was necessary. Now, look. Listen, Mr. Brownberg. Only it is Benham now. Ted Benham. Yes, will you call yourself whatever you like? And after what you told me about that... That woman that you're married to, believe me, I don't blame you. I only wish that I could legally help you stay away from her. That won't be necessary now. But I know that... Well, you're really Thaddeus Brownberg. And my job is to get you back there before... You said Thursday? Thursday? Yes. Thursday. I checked the New York papers last night by long distance, Mr. Dollar. What? And the hearing took place yesterday. And Thaddeus Brownberg is now legally dead. But even so, I... Oh, yes. And now, if you're feeling better, if you want to talk some more about it, let's get out of this stuffy trailer. Let's get out onto the lake. Out onto the lake? To talk? Well, yes. Uh Uh-huh. No talking. 
Mr. Benham. And so we fished. And it was great. All three days of it. Right? Wrong? I don't know. Who's to judge? As for the expense account, forget it. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Here's our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a case involving a prize fight in which the only prize to be won is death. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Reddick, is written by Jack Jondo, produced and directed by Bruno Zerato Jr. Musical supervision by Ethel Huber. Here in our cast were Gertrude Warner as Lita Brownberg, Carl Frank as Thaddeus Brownberg, Robert Dryden as Timothy Hanley, Bill Sterling as Billy Cross, and Jim Bowles as Ham Pratt. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Art Hannah speaking. See what I meant about that title? Johnny got slipped a Mickey in The Morning After Matter, an episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, from the last fortnight of winter in 1961, and from the big broadcast on WAMU 88.5, where we're saying thank you to our supporters during Member Week and inviting you to be among those thanked by calling 800-248-8850. Again, 800 248 8850, or going to wamu.org and clicking on Donate. With me is the Big Broadcast's co-producer, Jill Arald Bailey. And Jill, how do we put into words how much our listeners have meant to us during these past 15 months? How do you put that into words? I think we put it into our actions by providing the best quality audio and the best programming we can find yep, for every Sunday best. night. <laughs> That's, we, we try to... to uh, be worthy of your love. And, um, and we, we hope that you will step up during this time, um, during our member week here and show us a little bit more of that love. Uh, we know that many listeners helped with an emergency gift over this past year. And if that's you, thank you. We're so grateful to every member who gave at a critical time. It made sure that we were still here for you. Um, as we got through this year and as we look forward now to the future, which we, we're hoping will be a, a brighter future. We're still coming out of this, but um, we have tried to be here for you every Sunday night in this past year, and you were here for us. You stepped up. If you contributed, your support still matters to the big broadcast, to, the, to WAMU. And especially if you gave for the first time during this last year, we hope that that started a tradition. We hope that just like the Sunday night tradition of the big broadcast um, is here every Sunday evening, 7 p.m., that uh, you will make this now a tradition. You'll, you'll hear us speaking to you on member week, during member week, and say, 
oh, that's right. This is my reminder. I'm going to call 1-800-248-8850. Or, oh, that's right. I'm going to go on to WAMU.org and I'm going to increase my membership. Or I've been listening for a while now and I gave a one-time donation and now I'm going to become a, a sustaining member because that really is something that we can count on. Um, so again, you can call 1-800-248-8850 or go on to WAMU.org to make those gifts. 41 members have given so far. That means there are 159 stickers left of this great <laughs> sort of R2-D2 big broadcast holographic sticker. I'm telling you, you want this, folks. And it's yours if you're among the next 151 people who call and show your support at 800-248-8850, or go online to wamu.org and click on Donate. There, We want to thank so many people who've said lovely things. Suzanne from Manassas, Virginia, made a gift, and she says, there's nothing like Sunday night with the big broadcast to put the week behind us. Thank you. <laughs> no, That's what we try to do. We try to remind you that uh, you've closed one week. It's okay, whatever happened, because you got a new week coming up. 800-248-8850 or WAMU.org. And, you know, there are things that you can count on here on Sunday evening with the big broadcast. We we play your favorites. We have our three serials that we we're always ha- we always have for you. You just heard yours truly, Johnny Dollar. We know we have many fans who come in for drag dragnet and gun smoke. And there's a lot of excitement now for some of the, the new material, new old time radio. Who would have thunk? Um, <laughs> and Meg from Reston, who just made a gift. Speaks to that, she says, if my favorite radio program is going to air the Star Wars radio play, I'm going to add my donation. Aww. So thank you, Meg. And, and we are hoping that uh, by bringing you some some new old time radio that uh, we can have new members join our fold. And if Star Wars is what brings you here, great. And then we hope you'll stay for the gun smoke. <laughs> and, right. and Meg, and, listen, look at that. Meg actually increased her donation because of Star Wars. Maybe you'll want to consider are doing the same thing. That's right. That's right. And so she she called 1-800-248-8850. She got to speak with someone on a Sunday evening, uh, make a connection, uh, or she may possibly have gone on to WAMU.org. They, they don't give us that part of the information. We don't know. But in some way, Meg See how we guard your privacy connection. Here. That's right. <laughs> In some way, she did step forward, and and she became a member, and she added to her membership. So thank you, Meg. We we should mention, forgive the interruption, Jill, but we should mention that there are some thank you gifts uh, for as little as $9 a month as a sustaining member. Uh, That would bring you the WAMU Park Pack, because, come on, we're getting outside. Summer's coming on, and uh, it includes an 11-inch orange flying disc and a small black cooler bag for your favorite cool down beverage uh and and you get and become with the little slogan we're live we're local it's a wamu tagline that's for nine dollars a month you have to request that also what my favorite the wamu mesh back baseball cap and that's great because if you're like me the mesh protects the bald spot and it still keeps <laughs> you cool that's for twelve dollars a month you can request that at wamu.org or by calling 800-248-8850 
And you can join Daniel, who says the big broadcast is absolutely wonderful. Johnny Dollar, drag that in gun smoke. What more could you ask for? So <laughs> thank you so much, Daniel. Um, he made a gift and you can make a gift by calling 1-800-248-8850 or going on to WAMU.org. Look, it, it's been a heck of a year and I can't remember a summer more eagerly anticipated than this one, except maybe when I was in sixth grade. But here at the big broadcast, we're anticipating it for a very special reason. Yep, it's the legendary Star Wars radio series, 40 years old this spring, and we'll be playing all 13 episodes in our first hour, right after Johnny Dollar, beginning next week. Jill, there is so much to say about this series. Why don't you start? Well, I will just start with saying, you know, big broadcast listeners are no strangers to the concept of movie adaptations on radio. This is is our bread and butter. Think of Lux Radio Theater. Think of Screen Guild Theater. But by 1981, that artistry of turning a film into a compelling radio drama was was really not being done. So, So in a way, this was breaking new ground. Um, it was ground that that had been broken back in the 40s, back in the back in the 30s, but it was covered over and, and uh, the moss had begun to grow. So think of what an undertaking this was in 1981 when, um, you know, there's different accounts of how the idea it came about and how it got started. But what we do know is that George Lucas helped the project get on its feet. He sold the rights for the scripts of the movies, the sound effects and the musical score to KUSC-FM, that's the public radio station at his alma mater, USC. And he sold it to the theater program for $1. So I just, I love that. That we know, $1, <laughs> you know, that's that's how that's how little bits can start great things. So it's an alumni week, gift that keeps on giving, yeah, right. That's right. And it wound up being a 13-episode radio play. It was NPR um, that was really in its beginning days, right, Murray? Yes, and and it's really, Star Wars is really one of the cornerstones of NPR. Even the network itself, which we think of as a primarily, primarily as a news network now, will tell you that um, the audience for NPR increased 40% in 1981. The network is only 10 years old, but their audience went up by almost half because of Star Wars. Uh, one of my friends, a real public radio veteran who was around back then said, as far as he's concerned, the two things that put NPR on the map were all things considered and Star Wars. And what you said about the production of it um, was really appreciated by the people who who were in it. At least two of the original cast members from the movie star in this radio version, most prominently Mark Hamill, who really is a wonderful actor. I mean, it, it's great for him that he's so identified with the role of Luke Skywalker and, and great for his bank account. But I wish we'd been able to see more of him in a wider range of roles. In any case, he is Luke Skywalker. And here's a great example of the exquisite radio production of this series. And we'll hear from Mr. Hamill himself on how meaningful this radio series was to him and to his growth as an artist. Watch yourselves. Increase speed, full throttle. We're right behind you. 
R2, that stabilizer's broken loose again. See if you can't lock it down. You can't do any more good back there. Sorry, Luke. The tires aren't following. They're staying on you. The leader's flying some kind of prototype. Hurry, Luke. They're coming in much faster this time. I, I can't hold them. R2, try and increase the power. As soon as I heard about the the idea of, of adapting the first Star Wars film as a radio show, uh, I was very, very interested. Obviously, it is a labor of love. It's an opportunity for me to work in a medium that has been denied me simply because of my age. I mean, there I've read so much about the golden age of radio and that whole realm of uh, theater of the imagination. Mark Hamill stars as Luke Skywalker in National Public Radio's production of Star Wars. The idea of taking the first film, a two-hour film, and making it 13 half hours is, is phenomenal. It's just, it's much more um, in-depth. It's fascinating. And that was the actor Mark Hamill. And he, that excerpt you just heard is actually from a documentary made uh, from Minnesota Public Radio. The documentary is called The Making of Star Wars for Radio, A Fable for the Mind's Eye. And we will be hearing more from that documentary throughout the summer as we feature different clips to get you that behind the scenes look at how they made the radio play of Star Wars. Um, and I think it is notable also before we, we go on to hearing more from that documentary that, uh, when they, when NPR undertook this project of putting together Star Wars, the radio play, um, it was, it, it was a big deal and it was a huge undertaking and they, they needed to, uh, reach out and get some assistance. Isn't this right, Murray? Yeah. They reached out to, the BBC and right. they, they were able to, to really get them, get the project on its feet from there. I, I was able to learn a lot about that. The BBC was in and then the BBC was out. And mm-hmm. <laughs> what happened was, um, the director of this was John Madden. Now, John Madden at the time was not particularly well known. He was a mostly a radio drama director at the BBC. He came over here on an exchange. We sent a story editor over. We, I'm saying we, I wasn't at NPR at the time, but NPR sent a story editor over there from the NPR series Earplay and later NPR Playhouse because NPR was producing and airing radio drama into this century, um, into just till about 2001, 2002. And, um, John Madden was over here. The BBC said, yes, we want to be part of it. But then when the BBC saw that they weren't going to have total control, that they didn't have ultimate control because ultimately it was Lucasfilm that had final say, um, it was, they pulled out. Uh, but in the meantime, John Madden was the director, and after Star Wars, he started directing movies, he directed some sequels to the Star Wars radio series, and he was an Oscar nominee for the movie Shakespeare in Love, he directed Proof and Mrs. Brown, he wrote and directed The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, and uh, along with 
Tom Vaguely, about whom a little bit more later, um, he won the Pre-Italia, which is, not many people know about it over here, but it is the most prestigious. It's the Nobel Prize for radio production. And people... I mean, there are, there are European broadcasters, for example, who devote whole departments to trying to win the Pre-Italia. Well, NPR won it with um, an Arthur Coppett play called Wings, which later went to Broadway. It started out as a radio play and went to Broadway with Constance Cummings. It started out on NPR's earplay. John directed it. Tom Vagley was the audio producer. And the reason I know all of this is that Tom Vagley's an old friend. Uh, when I worked at NPR, Tom and I worked together on on a few things, and uh, so I called him up, and so we now have an exclusive interview with Tom Vagley, who was the audio producer of the Star Wars series, and um, you've heard some of it, Jill. Uh, you have the unenviable task of editing that hour and a half interview. <laughs> it's great. It's great stuff. We love it. Well, I guess maybe now is the, the the time to illustrate that. One of the really important things about Star Wars, the radio play, is that it broke new ground in radio drama production. Tom Vagley, who, as I say, put it all together, it was 1981, folks. This was before digital audio editing. So Tom was still working with audio tape and razor blades which is how we edited in the days before digital sound. I have the scars on my fingers to prove it. But he was able to do so much more than the producers of... I'm sorry, Tom was able to do so much more than the producers of, let's say, Suspense or Johnny Dollar 20 years earlier. We've got a real look behind the scenes at, at, at how he did it. And this other excerpt from that Minnesota Public Radio documentary, The Making of Star Wars for Radio, A Fable for the Mind's Eye. In a sophisticated 24-track recording studio at Minnesota Public Radio in St. Paul, post-production sound mixer Tom Vigley reviews the R2-D2 tape and a vast collection of dialogue, music, and sound, searching for just the right elements to bring Star Wars to life on radio. With director John Madden, Vaguely goes about the time-consuming task of piecing the series together, scene by scene. Yeah, it is a puzzle. It's a puzzle that you walk into a room that has a bunch of equipment in it and a big box full of tapes and a piece of paper that says that this is called a script that is in this case, in many scenes, a very rudimentary roadmap um, for what's supposed to happen. And you start putting the puzzle together, and you start it. What they saying here, Wormy? Hey, you want to try and keep up with me? Think so. Huh? Me? Are you scared, Wormy? Maybe this one's all right. Yeah. All right. Well, you're on. That's better. The other takes. Well, then you can ride with Fixer, Deke. Yeah, in the last takes, it had developed into such a major confrontation. It sort of, it was Hamlet suddenly. It's better. It's much better that one. It's fine. Two days ago, I sat just to give you an example of tedious work, meaning very time-consuming, very detailed, one thing at a time until you get it the way you like it. Um, there was this, there's a scene in, in episode one, which is Luke 
out working with a treadwell droid fixing moisture evaporators on the farm and it creates a little bit of a world for Luke and his work around the farm and and the droid breaks down as droids tend to do now the scene as it was recorded in Los Angeles is is Mark Hamill on microphone reading his lines and vocalizing effort okay so he was able to you know, there were certain sound cues written into his script so he could see you know and obviously this scene was rehearsed and, and and John directed it in terms of where to leave a pause and okay at this point you're you're turning up a bolt oh, boy. how does Uncle Owen expect me to keep these junk heaps running uh, so that's a little bit, as they say, a peek behind the scenes of um, what it was like for Tom Vagley to layer. Uh, there's a lot more to that one of sound effects and music. Uh, it's, it's just extraordinary. And uh, as Jill said, there'll be a lot more uh, of those examples. It's almost as good as listening to the series itself as to listening to how they put it together. Right, Jill? Absolutely. And I, I love that it gives you this feeling of the people who worked on it, their process. Um, you know, John Madden, who's an amazing director, and, and there is part of his process that it is reminds you of people like Orson Welles, you know, again, the, the superstars of the big broadcast. Um, and I think we have one more clip that we can play here. Yes, featuring John Madden. Documentary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we'll let, you know, uh, uh, he's an amazing director, as you said. I mean, how many people have excelled at that job in the theater, on the radio, in the movies, and on TV? I guess Orson Welles did some TV. Anyway, Tom vaguely told me he and John Madden are still best friends, and I think we'll let the director have the last word. Overall, the most important thing that I think I would hope that it will bring about is to really awaken people to the idea of what radio can do with the dramatic form particularly uh, of what an incredible experience it can be. Anybody who's ever listened to radio drama will testify to the fact that a play that you hear on radio will be in your in your mind, you know, 12 years later, you'll remember it vividly. And the reason that you remember it vividly is because you've done the work, is because, is because it lives in your imagination. A phrase has come to mind in working on this project, which is, you may think you've seen the movie, wait till you hear it. That's Star Wars, the radio play, one of the high points of radio, the 13-part series celebrating its 40th anniversary, and it begins next week here on the big broadcast from WAMU 88.5. I'm Murray Horwitz. Jill Arald Bailey, our co-producer, is here, and also WAMU's on-air operations manager and our dear friend Douglas Bell is here to help us with another celebration, WAMU Member Week. Douglas, hello. Hey Murray, great to be with you guys. Um, I, you know, I just had to be come back and join you to celebrate <laughs> Star Wars. Um, I hope that 
our listeners are as excited for this uh, summertime series. I have not yet got the chance to hear the whole thing. I look forward to listening along with our audience. But you know, Murray, uh, this is exactly what we can do in public radio because of member support, because we are accountable to delivering for our audience what you want to hear. And that is why a program like the big broadcast, why the Star Wars radio play that we can resurface after 40 years, that's why we can bring it here because of listener support. So if you are as excited as I am to hear this play this summer, you can do your part to help make that happen by going to WAMU.org and clicking on that donate button or by calling 800-248-8850. It really only takes a couple of minutes. And, and as Douglas said, this member week is a way we say thank you to the family because it really is family, uh, a community of WAMU members, of big broadcast listeners, and you can be part of it if you're not already by calling 800-248-8850, 800-248-8850, or going to WAMU.org. Jill? Well, and I will say we have heard from Ross from Fairfax, Virginia, who is giving monthly. So he's a sustaining member. And he says, I listen to WAMU more than I consume any other media. So why not subscribe? And he's got that in quotation marks. I like ah, that. I like Plus that logic. The, right. Plus the R2-D2 sticker, maybe. So, yes, uh, Ross, you were within our first 200 members to give tonight. So you will automatically receive the big broadcast limited edition Star Wars sticker. Um, again, if you did not know about the sticker, if you're just tuning in now to listen, we are doing a limited edition Star Wars holographic sticker to commemorate our airing of the of the Star Wars radio play all throughout the summer. It's a five-inch holographic st- sticker, um, and it's uh, just our way of saying thanks for your gift of any amount during member week. So, If this is your time to becoming a a sustaining member, perhaps in the past you've made a one-time donation, this could now be your time to become a sustaining member at a $9 a month, $12 a month, $15 a month. You know what works for you. Maybe it's $30 a month. Um, Or you may choose to do a one-time gift if you have not done that before. So any amount you will, if you're within those 200 and we still have uh, 130 or so stickers left, um, <laughs> going you fast, folks. this, this, uh, Star Wars commemorative sticker. So again, call 1-800-248-8850, 1-800-248-8850, or go online to wamu.org. Douglas and Jill, we have to say thank you to these donors who have called in Jack from Arlington, Thomas from Silver Spring, Arthur from Greenbelt, Frank from Aberdeen, Maryland, Barbara from Washington, D.C. They've called. They understand that tonight is the only chance they'll have during member week to give during the big broadcast. So thank you to all of you. And it only takes a moment to call 800-248-8850 or to go on to WAMU.org and click on Donate. Douglas. That's right. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's actually it's so important that we actually have one more message of encouraging you to show your support. A special message from two characters that you may know very well, C-3PO and R2-D2. Here they are. Yes, R2-1, most planets protocol does dictate that one offer fair compensation when receiving something of value. Well, I really don't know why some people in this culture do not honor that custom. I agree. 
I have monitored this broadcast frequency on many occasions. I find it most enriching, even for a technologically advanced droid like myself. What I fail to understand is why some listeners do not provide fair compensation. No, I haven't, but humans should. No, Artu, I don't expect to get a coffee mug or tote bag, and neither will you. Not to worry, no coffee mugs or tote bags. I don't think in <laughs> among the gifts, but an outdoor blanket,、uh, a WAMU Deluxe Park Pack,、uh, a soap and room spray gift,、uh, and that mesh back hat I talked about can be yours for the appropriate gift at the appropriate level. It、uh, only takes a moment, as I say, and this is a sort of delicate. Thing to say, but we're among the lucky ones.、Uh, we've, we, there are people who have really, really been hurt hard by this pandemic in in so many ways. But there are those of us who've managed to make it through, and there've been articles about this in the paper that people have actually saved money during the pandemic and and have have done well. If that's you, you can be guilt free and go to eight hundred two four eight eighty eight fifty. Share the wealth. Go to wamu.org, click on donate, and show your support and appreciation for this station. Eight hundred two four eight eighty eight fifty or wamu.org. Chill. House. Oh, J- Douglas, go ahead. Yes, I just wanted to say one more thing, Murray, before we、uh, move on along to Gunsmoke. But you know, with this play coming up, this is just one more point about. The value、uh, we get from the big broadcast. We just heard in that introductory segment,、uh, Jill and Murray. You two have already done just so much work to add to the value of what we're going to hear this summer. We're not just going to hear the radio play, which of course you can go probably go online and find. We're going to get more behind the scenes information. You're going to get the opportunity th- this whole summer to gather around the radio each Sunday night, experience it as the NPR listeners of 40 years ago did. So this is that added value, and it's why we all love the big broadcast. And I hope. Our audience will show their support at eight hundred two four eight eighty eight fifty and wamu dot org. Thanks for that, Douglas Bell, and thanks to everyone who's given so far to this station, which is WAMU Washington, your listener-supported NPR news station from American University in HD at eighty eight five at WRAU eighty eight three in Ocean City on your smart speaker and online at wamu dot org. It is Member Week, the time we carve out especially to say thanks to our supporters. So, Jill, the first thing we want to do in our second hour tonight is to thank everybody who's already given. Have we heard from anybody that we haven't thanked so far? Well, we do have a new、uh, member comment here that I want to read. I just love this. This is from Sally in Vienna, Virginia. She made a gift, and she says, "I'm a very happy longtime member of WAMU. Thank you for that, Sally. I have been a big broadcast listener since I was ten years old. Oh boy, me too. <laughs> <laughs> As an adult, I've gotten even more into the research and preservation of radio, and I have expanded my listening to hot jazz Saturday night and news through the week. So." We want to thank you for that. They, she says that the big broadcast is a wonderful tradition in our home, and I think that's something that a lot of our listeners of the big broadcast feel. Especially,、uh, it's eight o'clock now, so I know we have some of our Gunsmoke fans coming,、uh, tuning in right now that may may not have tuned in before. So, if you're a Gunsmoke fan and you've tuned in now, this is our member week, and you can join Sally from Vienna, Virginia. And show your love for Gunsmoke on 
Sunday night on the big broadcast here every Sunday night. Show your love by calling 1-800-248-8850 or going on to wamu.org and make your voice heard. And if you are not Sally from Vienna, and if we didn't call (laughs) your name, maybe you haven't given yet. Well, get a pencil. You can give at wamu.org or 800-248-8850. That's 800-248-8850. Operators are standing by, as they used to say, while you're listening to the first part of a mystery involving everybody's favorite dance hall hostess. It's an episode called Kitty Lost, and it comes from December 25th, 1954, CBS and Gunsmoke. to you by L&M Filters. This is it. L&M is best. Stands out from all the rest. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. William Conrad, transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal, the first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Oh, not long. I'm waiting to go to dinner with Doc, if he ever comes out of his office. Uh, well, ha- have you been here a half hour? No, not that long, I don't think. Why? No, I thought maybe you'd seen Miss Kitty out here in the street somewhere. No, I haven't seen her. Well, she's got to be someplace. <laughs> well, I expect she is, Justin. Well, there's no place I know of. I can't find her. How'd you try the Longhorn? Oh, no, sir. She's never in there before afternoon sometime. Well, what about her room? That's where I was supposed to meet her, Mr. Dillon. But she ain't there and nobody saw her. Nobody I talked to, anyway. Oh, she'll be around. Yeah, but it ain't like Miss Kitty not to be where she says she'll be. I don't get so worried, Chester. It can't be that important. Well, it's pretty important to me. Oh? Yes, sir. I, I got a date tonight with a little girl who worked over at Alpha Gensler. Oh, what's that got to do with Kitty? Well... My only pair of good pants got busted, Mr. Dillon, and Miss Kitty was patching them up for me. 
She told me to come pick them up today, just before noon. <laughs> no wonder you're worried. Is uh, this a new girl that you got, Chester? Yes, sir. Well, she's new to me. Little southern gal with a mouthful of honey, Mr. Dillon. Honey, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, that makes good bait for old bears like you. Oh, Mr. Dillon, huh? <laughs> I ain't no bear. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> hello, Matt. Yeah, hello, Doc. Doc, how are you? Oh, I hope I haven't kept you waiting too long, Matt. Oh, that's okay, Doc. Now I won't have to worry if I'm the one that's late next time. Huh? I'm not the one that's late. Oh, you're not? No. Kitty is. Kitty? Yes, she said yesterday she'd be in at noon. Wanted me to look at a tooth that's been bothering her. And I promised I'd be there, but I can't wait forever. Ah, it seems like Kitty's late all the way around today, doesn't it? I was supposed to see her too, Doc, but I can't find her no place. Well, it doesn't matter. She's probably sleeping in for a change. No, she ain't. I've been to her room. Nobody saw her around there at all. Is that so? She said she'd be there. Well, come to think of it, it's not like Kitty. When she says she'll be there, she's there. It kindly worries me. Now, you two getting all worked up over nothing. Kitty isn't that clock-like. But then where is she, Matt? I don't know where she is. Kitty's a big girl. She can take care of herself. Now, stop worrying about her. Hey, here comes Sam Noonan. Maybe he knows where she's at. Well, how would he know? Well, Miss Kitty works for him at the Long Branch, don't you? Uh, Sure, but Sam doesn't keep her on a string. Her time's her own. Morning, gentlemen. Hello, Sam. How are you, Hello, Sam? Sam? Sam, you ain't seen Miss Kitty around today, have you? Oh, Chester, I ain't. Those two men standing here thought I'd come ask you. You mean that you're looking for her, too? Well, she was going to come to the Long Branch about 10 o'clock. Went down early to meet her, and she ain't showed up yet, Marshal. Uh, 10 o'clock's pretty early for Kitty, isn't it, Sam? Well, sure, but she was doing it as a favor to me. I want to get started repainting the place, and she was going to give me some ideas about making it real fancy. She said she'd be there, and I got a man waiting to go to work on it this afternoon. You know, it beats me. Kitty takes one morning off, and everybody in Dodge is out looking for her. Well, I don't know about everybody else, Marshal, but I, I do know when Kitty says she'll do something, she does it. That's just what we've been saying, Sam. Where do you think she's got to, anyway? I ain't gone looking for it, Chester. I've just been waiting. Matt. Yeah, what, Doc? Kitty might miss one appointment. But she'd never in the world miss three. Uh, who saw her last? Uh, you, Sam? What time did you leave the Long Branch last night? Well, it was early, Marshal. It was real early. Oh, why? Why did she go? Well, she was talking to some dude from back east. I never saw him before, and they both disappeared about ten o'clock. I don't know where they went. She didn't come back? That's the last I've seen of her. Yeah. Uh, who is this dude? Do you, you know his name? No, I don't. He was a tall, thin fella in fancy clothes. That's all I know. I don't trust them dudes and never did. Well, maybe we better find him and talk to him. Well, where are we going to find him? The Dodge House, Chester. A man like that wouldn't stop anyplace else. Look, uh, Doc, you better go ahead and eat. I'll, uh, I'll join you if I can.
say, maybe this fella got her outside and knocked her in the head and robbed her, Mr. Dillon. Kitty doesn't carry money on her, Chester. Well, she wears jewelry. She's also over 21 years old, and she's got enough sense not to let anybody knock her on the head. Uh, and if he did, I suppose somebody would have found her by now. Yeah, sure. Hey, look. It's Mr. Doby himself at the desk in there. Oh, good. Hello, Marshal. Chester. Oh, Mr. Doby. How you, Doby? Now, don't tell me the Dodge house has taken in another gunman. You're going to shoot the place up again. Well, that wouldn't happen so often if you'd make your guests check their guns, Doby. <laughs> kind of people come in here to take the army to do that. That's a poor rule anyway. A man can always hide a gun. Or a knife. It's not that kind of a man I'm looking for this time, Doby. It's uh, an Easterner. Some dude. Yeah. What's his name? Well, I don't know his name, but he's tall and thin, and he's a sort of a fancy dresser. He's new to Dodge. Mm. I'll be that fellow Rackmill. Rackmill? He fits your description, but he sure didn't look like no troublemaker to me. What's he done? I don't know, Toby. I don't know. Maybe nothing. Uh, is he in his room? No. No, he ain't. Funny thing, now you mention it. Clerk told me this morning that Rackmill didn't come in at all last night. You didn't? I didn't think nothing about it till now. Oh, you know how some fellas are. They get to playing cards or something. He ain't up to no good, Mr. Dillon. I just know he ain't. Uh, Doby, uh, what do you know about him? I told you all I know. He come here day before yesterday. Said he was traveling around, seeing the West. I don't think he's working. He don't act sharp enough to be a gambler. Okay, Doby, thanks. Uh, thanks very much, Cut. Look, uh, if he does come in, don't say anything about my being here, will you? Not a word, Marshal. But I'll send somebody after you if you want. Good. Good. I gotta go find that clerk. I ain't paying him for me to stand here all day. Well, what are we gonna do now, Mr. Dillon? Uh, look, I'll tell you, Chester, you go down and check the stage, huh? I'm gonna go over to the depot and, uh, I'll see you back at the office. You think he might have kidnapped her? Well, we'll know when we find her, Chester. Did you find anything, Chester? Oh, hello, Doc. Oh, well, hello, Matt. Nobody ain't seen him at the stage office, Mr. Dillon. There's only one stage out today, and that left this morning, and they wasn't on it. Yeah, that I didn't think they would be. Uh, what about the train? Did they leave on that? Well, they remember Rackmill when he came in the other day, but uh, he hasn't bought any ticket to leave. Then he must be somewhere in Dodge, Matt. I stopped by Miss Kitty's room on the way back, Mr. Dillon. She ain't been in yet. You know, they tell me back in New York, some policemen do nothing but look for people that are missing. That's how many disappear all the time. Do they find them, Doc? Sometimes, yes, of course. They, they always check the city morgue first. Oh, that's where they find a lot of them. People that got killed, you mean? Mm -hmm. Well, some just fall down and die on the streets. Heart seizure, you know, something like that kind of hits them. But, of course, a lot of them are victims of murder or killing of one kind of, you know, fights and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it must happen a lot. 
They got so many people living there. It does. But it can happen anywhere, Chester. Only in New York, they're better organized to locate people that are missing them and don't come home when they should. Always check the morgue first, huh? Yeah, oh, that's the best place. It saves a lot of time and trouble. Hey, we ought to have a morgue here in Dodge. Oh, whatever. Oh, Jeff, we don't need one. But Dodge isn't big enough for a morgue. No, I guess it ain't. And besides, people don't come up missing here very often. Well, if you two well-wishers have got the morgue problem settled, I'd like to say something. Why, surely, Matt, go ahead. If Kitty was in Dodge, we'd have heard from her by now. I'm presuming she's alive, of course, Doc, if that doesn't go too much against your theory. Oh, of course she is, Matt. Of course she is alive. I was telling Chester about things back east, that's all. And if she's left Dodge and she didn't go by stage or by train, then there's only one other way that she could have gone, isn't there? You mean she walked? <clears throat> That'd be about as likely as you walking somewhere, Chester. I don't know why I didn't think about it before. Let's go down to the stable. Where could she be? I'll forego the jokes about a lost kitty. Never mind. I'm sorry. Okay, well, we'll find out where Kitty might be in just a few minutes when we play the second part of that story, Kitty Lost, from Gunsmoke on Christmas Day in 1954 and from the big broadcast here on WAMU 88.5. I'm Murray Horwitz. Co-producer Jill Errold Bailey is with me, and we're saying thank you, along with all of our WAMU colleagues during our member week. We're so grateful to everyone who supported us during this difficult year plus, and especially grateful to everyone who's called 800-248-8850 tonight, 800-248-8850, or gone online to wamu.org to click on Donate. Tonight's your only chance to support the big broadcast and Gunsmoke during this member week. So please, go now to wamu.org or call 800-248-8850. And you can join members who have gone online to give, such as Bernie from Salisbury, Maryland, Daniel from Vienna, Virginia, Ariana from Fairfax, Virginia, and Maria from Baltimore, Maryland. You can also, if you're someone who wants to have a, a phone conversation with someone tonight, there are <laughs> operators standing by, and you can join Carrie from Upper Marlboro, Marla, uh, Maryland, Hardy from Pasadena, Maryland, and Mary from Westminster, Maryland. These are all members who have stepped up during this time. They have called 1-800-248-8850. They have gone online to wamu.org. And because they were within the first 200 members tonight only, they were able to automatically receive a Star Wars holographic sticker. That's our bonus gift. So whatever level of giving you choose, uh, whether it's $9 a month, $15 a month, $30 a month, of course, we have some really nice thank you gifts there as well for those levels. They automatically received that Star Wars sticker. So there are 89 of those left. You still have an opportunity if you were listening in our last hour um, or if you've heard that we're going to be playing the Star Wars series, the radio play over the summer, we're commemorating that with these special five-inch holographic stickers. So you can be uh, within those first 200. And we also have Brent here from Laurel, Maryland, who made a gift and says, Johnny Dollar, wait, wait, and on the media, 
and the R2-D2 decal. So there you go. So he's <laughs> excited. Yes, Brent, you are getting that that decal. That's, that's a good word for it. So again, call 1-800-248-8850 or go online to wamu.org. If you appreciate what you hear Sunday nights, there's no better way to show your support than to go right now to WAMU.org or call 800-248-8850. And it's not just what you hear Sunday nights. Support all of your favorite programs. Support the return of Hot Jazz Saturday Night with our dear friend Rob Bamberger. Support real journalism that's independent, that's local and national and international. 800-248-8850 or WAMU.org. And that's the thing about WAMU. You know that whenever you turn it on, you're going to hear something that's worth your time. It's well-written, it's interesting, it's informative. And when it comes to the weekends, something that's not just going to entertain you, it's going to give you a, a breather, a little remove from the tumult of the week and some perspective on all that we are going through. You know how much you need that breather now. So please show us how much you appreciate it, whether that's $5 a month or $1,000 a month will breathe a little easier when you do. So call 1-800-248-8850 or go to wamu.org. And now while you're clicking or dialing, here's the second part of Kitty Lost, a 1954 episode of Gunsmoke. I don't know why I didn't think about them going horseback either, Mr. Dillon. I guess maybe it's because they say that fellow Racknell's a dude. Horses don't seem his style. Uh, we don't know that much about him, Chester. What if he went alone? What if he didn't take Miss Kitty with him after all? Well, I can go anywhere he wants to. Alone. Uh, I don't see Moss Grimmick nowhere. Uh. Hey, Moss. Moss Grimmick. Hey. Here now, here now. Who's doing all that hollering? He's laying in that stall over there, Mr. Dillon. He's been sleeping. Yeah. Oh, it's you, Marshal. Chester, you woke me up. I'm sorry to bother you, Moss, but uh, I got to talk to you. Trouble, Marshal? Well, I don't know. But if there is, uh, maybe you can help me. Always willing to help, Marshal. Tell me, have you rented out any horses lately, Moss? Uh, last night or today? No, I haven't. Business has been mighty slow all week, Marshal. No, you haven't. Uh, you sure? Well, you mean saddle horses, don't you? Yeah, yeah, sure. I thought so. No man's gonna make a getaway in a buggy, is he? In a buggy? What, do you rent buggies? Not often, but I did last night. By golly, I'm glad you reminded me. He ain't brought it back yet. That fellow still got my buggy, Marshal. Who was it, Moss? Oh, some stranger I never saw him before. Was he an Easterner? He ain't from around here, not in them clothes. Did he, uh, have anybody with him? Yeah. Yeah, he had a girl. She was outside for him. I didn't pay no attention to her. It was a good moon last night, and they was going for a little drive. But I want my horse and buggy back, Marshal. You think they went and stole it? Uh, tell me, Moss, did he say where they were going? He said something about Indian Spring. Asked me how far it was. I told him 20 miles. He figured that was too far, but said maybe they'd drive down to Hotway. What do I do, Marshal? 
Oh, what time was it when they took the buggy? Ten o'clock, maybe. No, there's nothing down toward Indian Spring I know of, Mr. Dillon. There's hardly even any ranches down there. They must have run into trouble of some kind. Maybe that's it, Marshal. I'll tell you. I didn't bother to mention it since they wasn't going far, but one of the iron rims is off the left wheel on that buggy. Could be they hit a rock and the wheel busted. Yeah, maybe. But it doesn't take all night and half a day to walk 20 miles. But uh, don't worry about your buggy, Moss. We'll find it. no trail going to Indian Spring, so all we could do was start out in the general direction and then ride back and forth across the prairie till we found the buggy tracks. That took an hour, but from then on it was easy. We covered the first ten miles fast, so fast that we almost missed where the buggy had stopped and a woman's footprints led away from it. We followed these for a mile or two, and then up ahead we suddenly saw puffs of smoke coming from a clump of box elder, Indian style. That must be Miss Kitty in there, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. Is she signaling or what? Well, it looks like it. And she must be in trouble. Maybe. That rack mill fellow must have put her out and just left her to starve. Now, why would he do a thing like that? Well, he's not going to get far enough in that buggy for me not to ask him personally, Justin. But first, we'll take care of Kitty. There she is. She sees us. She's waving. Hi, Miss Kitty. Oh, she's all right, Mr. Dillon. She ain't hurt. Oh, look. Over every morning, she, she's been using a petticoat to make them smoke signals with. No, we, we tracked you, Miss Kitty. Sure is good to see you. What's the matter with your ankle, Kitty? Oh, well, I turned it. It's not that swollen. How'd you know? Well, I could tell by your tracks back there that you were favoring it. Hmm. I never noticed that. Well, that's why I had to stop walking, Matt. I knew it'd get worse and I'd never make dodge on it. I figured I was better off here than out in the prairie where I couldn't even build a fire. Well, that was smart of you, Kitty. Now, uh, look, you can ride on one of our horses' back, and we'll go double, huh? In the skirt? Huh. Well, uh, one of us can wait here with you while the other one goes and fetches a buggy, okay? Um, no, that'd take too long. I'll make it. I can ride side saddle if we don't go too fast. Okay. Hey, you must be hungry. Oh. You know, we didn't think to bring anything to eat. I'm starved. At least I've had water. There's a tiny little spring under that rock over there. Yeah. You're uh, lucky you had matches, too. I wish I'd had a gun. It's alive with rabbits around here. <laughs> well, you could have trapped some if you hadn't stayed here long enough. Uh, I'll show you how someday. Thanks. But I hope I never need to know how. <laughs> 
Oh, Chester. Mm-hmm. Well, you go get our hat and stuff and then throw some sand on that fire. All right, sir. And I'll have me a drink of water while I'm at it. Then we'll get started for Dodge, Kitty. Yeah, the sooner we get there, the sooner you can eat. Oh, a side of beef and a sack of potatoes and that's good stuff. And I come to think of it, I uh, missed dinner myself. I'll join you. I'm sorry I'm so much trouble, Matt. Ah. As long as you're safe. You know, you had everybody worried. Me and Chester and Doc Sam Noonan. I know. I've been thinking about it. Matt? Yeah. I turned up missing, so you scout around and finally tracked me down clear out here in the prairie and find me standing around on one foot in a bunch of little trees playing Indian. And you don't even ask me how I got here. I know how you got here. Well, sure, of course. With Jim Racknell and that old buggy. Part way, anyhow. That's not what I mean, man. Well, if he'd been out to kidnap or murder you, I guess you'd have mentioned it before this, would you? So oh, it's silly. I feel like a fool telling it. Well, go ahead and say it. It can't be that bad. Black Mill's an Easterner. He's never been out here before. and well, We got to talking. He said he'd like to see the prairie in the moonlight. It was my idea we rent a buggy and take a drive for an hour or so. Anything to get out of that smoky saloon for a while. So we did. And he tried to hold your hand. And you got mad. And you slapped him. And you jumped down and you started walking. How'd you know that? <sighs> I know you, Kitty. You know, sometimes you've got a terrible temper. Well, I paid for it this time. Honest, Matt, that's all he did. Tried to hold my hand. I believe it. You know, but you'd have been smarter if you just slapped him and let it go at that. You could have ridden back to Dodge in style. Why'd I have to act like a schoolgirl, Matt? I don't know, kidding. Some people grow up slow. But I'll tell you one thing. It's a lot better than growing up too fast. Oh, thanks for that anyway, Matt. Hey, look out yonder, Mr. Miller. Look what's coming. Huh? That's Rackmill in the buggy. I forgot all about him. When the world's he been all this time? Well, looks like we ain't gonna have to run him down after all, don't he? Well, he didn't do anything, Chester. He tried to hold my hand. Well, he sure looks wild now. Now, listen, you two. Stay out of this. Leave Rackmill to me. I'll handle him. Uh, come on, Chester. Let's uh, ease up those saddles, huh? Yes, sir. Miss Kitty. Miss Kitty, are you all right? Am I all right? I've been going crazy trying to find you. It was dark, and you disappeared so fast, and then I finally saw the smoke a while ago. You did, huh? How'd you know that smoke wasn't Indian? Well, I didn't know. In fact, I thought it must be. I had to make sure, Miss Kitty. Well, dude, you're a pretty brave man, Mr. Rockwell. Oh, I knew it wasn't Indians as soon as I saw them. Have they been bothering you, Miss Kitty? What? Come on, Miss Kitty. Get in the buggy. Aren't you forgetting I got out of that buggy once? We'll talk about it later. Take my arm. Take it. Oh, I'll say one thing, Mr. Rockmill. You're sure right about going crazy. Please, Miss Kitty. No. I like it here. I've been real comfortable. I'm going to stay. Learn how to trap rabbits. 
I may decide to live here, Mr. Rackman. No, 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 you don't understand. Miss Kitty, we're all alone, way out in the prairie. I don't like the looks of those men. I've got to get you out of here. You've got to get me out of here. You. Please be sensible before it's too late. It's already too late. Now, get in your buggy and go on back to Dodge. You can find it. I can find it, all right. I promise you I can. Come, Miss Kitty. Which way is Dodge? Well, why... It's right back there. You're pointing towards Texas. Well, it doesn't matter. We'll find it. I won't leave you here, Miss Kitty. I don't care how mad you get. Oh, I'm getting mad again, It huh? doesn't matter. I don't blame you for last night. I apologize. I shouldn't have tried to hold your hand. I just lost myself for a moment, that's all. It won't happen again. I promise you. But I am not going to leave you here. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Rackmill. I've been unfair. I do have a bad temper, you know. Yes, I know. And you're right about those two. They are a pretty tough-looking pair, aren't they? They're coming back. As a matter of fact, they do look more like desperados than lawmen. Lawmen? Mr. Rackville, this is Marshal Dillon of Dodge City, Kansas. Marshal Dillon? And that's Chester Proudfoot. How do you do? Oh. How do you do? <laughs> it's okay, Rackville. We're not after you. Well, uh... I didn't know that she knew you. I mean, I thought you were strangers. No, no, we're not strangers. In fact, we rode out here to find Kitty. <laughs> I've been trying to find her, too. All night and all day, I've been driving round, round. Now, wait a minute. You men aren't going to make all this my fault. I only did what any lady would do. Kitty, you'd do a lot better if you got something to eat. Eat? What are we standing around here for? Matt, will you and Chester ride along with us? Sure, we will, Kitty. And Mr. Rackmill, when we get to Dodge, maybe you'll have supper with us. That's very kind of you, Miss Kitty. Good. Now, if you'll hold my hand, you can help me into the buggy. William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Ray Kemper. Featured in the cast were John Daner, James Nusser, Barney Phillips, and Vic Perrin. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, Fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in gun smoke. What keeps a family happy? You'll agree if you look at the happiest families you know that it takes more than dads paying the bill. Mostly, it's doing things together. A family outing, a backyard barbecue, or games together in the evening. These are the precious moments of family life. The shared moment. Going to worship each week is another of the good things in life for the family to share. Enrich the lives of your family. Worship together. 
them again next week for another story of the Western Frontier when Marshal Matt Dillon, Chester Proudfoot, Doc, and Kitty, together with all the other hard-living citizens of Dodge, will be with you once more. It's America growing west in the 1870s. It's drama. It's gun smoke. Brought to you by L and M Filters. This is the CBS Radio Network. From Christmas Day in 1954, Kitty Lost from the series Gunsmoke, and from the Member Week edition of the big broadcast here on WAMU 88.5. Member Week means we're thanking you for your support, and you can continue that support by calling 800-248-8850, 800-248-8850, or by visiting WAMU, WAMYET, I don't know, dot org, and <laughs> clicking on Donate. Occasionally, I'm Murray Horwitz. Co-producer Jill Errol <laughs> Bailey is here. And once again, the website is WAMU.org. And the phone number is 800-248-8850. But you know what? We're not a yet. We, we are a, a reality. <laughs> and, and it's because of members, right? We're not an idea that somebody had. We're a reality here every Sunday evening. And that's because of our members who have stepped up in the past. It's because of the members who are listening now. Uh, who are stepping up, and I want to read just a, a couple of these. There is one message here from Rob from Bethesda, who made a gift and says, Murray Horowitz has the best the best show on WAMU, hands down. Oh. Even Jack Benny would agree. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't know. That is high praise indeed. I don't know that if is, you get Jack to is. sign on for that. Oh, my gosh. Oh, God. The same thing. Well, thank you, Rob. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I have a that's a, an impressive comment. Thank you. I have one that is going to break your heart, Jill. Ethan, who is 11 and lives in Vienna, is giving $10 because he loves listening to the big broadcast the most. Oh, I love that. Thank uh, you, Ethan. It means so much. And, you know, everybody, while you're calling 800-248-8850, if Ethan could do it at the age of 11, you can do it even if you're younger, or go to WAMU.org and click on Donate. But people ask us all the time, oh, you know, I guess you got all these, like, really uh, superannuated people listening to your show. We have a really great range uh, of people listening to the big broadcast, I am happy to say. We have age-diverse, we have ethnically diverse people from all kinds of backgrounds because there's something about this programming from the 1940s, 50s, and 60s that brings us all together as Americans. It's one of the things that old-time radio did best, and uh, we don't have too much of that nowadays. So if you appreciate that, please go right now to WAMU.org and click on Donate or call 800-248-8850. That's right. Murray, Murray you're exactly right. There is something um, for, for everyone on the big broadcast on Sunday evening. That is something we pay attention to, frankly, in programming. Um, when we are choosing what we get to listen to from this huge canon, really, uh, of treasures from the 1930s up through the 1950s, and now this summer from we're going to be playing the Star Wars series from 1981. Right. Um, but you know, there, there's just there's so much wonderful radio out there uh, to choose from. 
but it does strike me as extraordinary uh, that it has existed. And, and there was a comment in one of the old time radio social media groups that I'm part of when I was doing research for the big broadcast. And um, a fan said, can you picture someone having the foresight of preserving these programs for future generations? They're, they're sitting there in the, they're an engineer in the radio booth in 1939. And they say, I, I need to capture this broadcast for mm. the, uh, you know, the, the, mailroom clerk at uh, Lux saying, I'm going to keep these transcription discs. I'm just going to squirrel them away here in this box in the attic in hopes that someone's going to find them in the future. And I think of it like these everyday heroes who were preserving these old time radio treasures for us here in 2021. And now it's our job to thank them and, and pay it forward to the, you know, the next generation, do our part to keep these programs going, keep them on the air, keep them as part of our, our cultural heritage, everything from the space patrol that we hope, hope 11 year old Ethan will, will love, um, you know, to, to the Lux radio, to star Wars, to Gunsmoke, to dragnet, if, keep these alive. If you want to help us keep those alive and help us keep them alive. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much for that. Um, we, you can do so by going to wamu.org, clicking on donate or calling 800-248-8850. Honest, it only takes a couple of minutes. We wouldn't lie to you about, about anything, but not about that. Uh, 800-248-8850 or wamu.org and click on donate. As life edges back to something like old times, uh, I, I, it's dawned on me that one thing that may not return are men's neckties. Even I, who was born wearing a necktie, find them a little awkward now somehow after the last 15 months. In the spring of 1955, though, every man wore one, and that's when the episode called The Big Tie was broadcast by NBC, AFRTS, and the series Dragnet. Dragnet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a burglary detail. You get a call that someone has broken into a necktie manufacturer's. A large supply of hand-painted ties have been stolen. Your job? Check it out. It was Saturday, September 10th. It was hot in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of burglary detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Bernard. My name's Friday. I was on my way into the office, and it was 8.31 a.m. when I got to room 45. Burglary. Hi, John. Blank. Anything for us? A uh, patrol car picked up a couple of high school kids about 3 a.m. Oh? Found them hanging around a filling station over on Jefferson. Mm -hmm. Juvenile's checking them against those other filling station jobs last week. Just to let us know. Okay. All right, it's going to be a scorcher. Yeah. You noticed it last night? Hmm? The heat. Oh, yeah, sure I did. I don't think I slept more than 30 minutes. Wonder about air conditioning the house. What? It's pretty expensive, isn't it? Well, I guess it depends, doesn't it? Yeah. Be worth it, though, weather like this. Well, we don't get these spells too often. Well, I don't know, Joe. Lots of the new houses have air conditioning. Yeah. Just a bedroom might not cost too much. You know, one of those portable units. Mm-hmm. I get it. Burglary Friday. Yes, sir. Just a second. All right, what's the address? 
Mm-hmm. Yes, sir, I see. Right away. Bye. Tie manufacturing company out on Western. Somebody cleaned them out last night. Over a hundred dozen neckties. Yeah. Owner says he knows who did it. Frank and I drove out to a small manufacturing shop on Southwestern Avenue. 9.03 a.m., we interviewed the owner, George Prosper. He told us the back door had been forced open during the night and that a large supply of hand-painted neckties had been stolen. You see right here? The lock's broken. Yes, sir. That's how he got in. No mistake about it. Uh-huh. He take anything else beside the ties? Oh, a little cash, $80, $90. But the ties are the important thing. Oh? Yeah, they're worth at least $5 a piece retail, all hand-painted, you know. Yes, sir. Some of them are worth more special designs. Why is that? Well, they're made up for the individual. One of a kind. Oh, I see. Of course, most of the ties he stole weren't specials. They were from a wholesale stock, Christmas orders. Mm-hmm. I'll admit it doesn't feel very much like Christmas today, but we have to get our orders filled before the end of October. Mm-hmm. I certainly hope you'll be able to get the ties back for us in time. Yes, sir. You said you had an idea who the thief might be. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Morgan Gilroy. Who's he? Young fellow used to work for me. I let him go first last week. Uh-huh. Just wasn't dependable. Always late in the morning. Careless worker, too. Yeah, well, why do you blame him for the burglary? Well, he was very upset when I fired him. Said his wife was having a baby. Said I didn't have any right to let him go without notice. I see. Told him I'd warn him off enough. Gave him a whole week's pay, and that seemed more than fair to me. Did he say anything else? Well, yeah, he threatened me. Oh. Said I'd be sorry I fired him. Said I'd live to regret it. Uh-huh. Made quite a scene. Told him if he didn't get out, I'd call the police. Did he leave then? Well, not right away. He quieted down some, asked me to change my mind and keep him on. Said he couldn't be out of work now that he had to have a job on kind of the baby. Uh-huh. I told him there are plenty of jobs to be had. If a man really wants work, he can find it. Yeah. Different when I was his age. Had to earn your wages. Mm-hmm. And you take young fellows like Gilroy, careless, irresponsible, always looking for shortcuts, always looking for an easy dollar. Never give value in return. Yeah. That's why I'm sure it was him. Just the sort of stunt he'd pull. Easy way to earn a dollar. Well, then he's got something to learn, hasn't he? Hmm? This was the hard way. Frank and I called the crime lab. While they checked the premises, we continued to interview the victim, George Prosper. He gave us a description of the suspect, Morgan Gilroy, and Gilroy's home address. They also gave us a detailed description of the stolen property. 10.17 a.m. The lab reported that they were unable to find any useful fingerprints on the Jimmy door. Pictures of the Jimmy marks were taken. There was no other physical evidence. 10.57 a.m. Frank and I drove out to the address Prosper had given us. It was a small apartment house on Fountain Avenue in Hollywood. The Gilroy apartment was number seven. Yes? Morgan Gilroy in? No, he isn't. You Mrs. Gilroy? Yes, sir. We're police officers, ma'am. It's Frank Smith. My name's Friday. I'm pleased to meet you. Be all right if we come in for a minute? Oh, I guess it'll be all right. Thank you. I'm sorry I'm not fixed up. I kind of overslept this morning. Yes, ma'am. Were you out late last night, Mrs. Gilroy? No. How about your husband? What about him? Or was he out late? Well. Don't you think you ought to tell me why you want to know? It's a police matter. Well, then maybe you'd better talk to Morgan. Yes, ma'am. Do you know where he is? It worked. Now, where does he work, Mrs. Gilroy? For a time manufacturer. Which one, do you know? Prosper's. George Prosper. That's the owner's name. Mm-hmm. How long has your husband worked for him? Six or seven months. And that's where he went this morning, did he? That's where he goes every morning. Mm-hmm. Something happened to Morgan? We'd like to talk to him, that's all. Then why don't you? I told you where you could find him. Yes, ma'am. The Prosper Tie Company. I don't know what the address is, but it's in the phone book. Well, we just came from there, Mrs. Gilroy. I don't understand. Didn't you see... Your husband doesn't work for him anymore. What? He was let out last week. I... I don't believe you. That's what his boss told us. Well, Morgan would have said something about it. No. Oh, you've made a mistake. You must be talking about a different person. No, ma'am. Well, it's got to be a mistake. 
Well, sure, Morgan gave me his paycheck last night. Every Friday night he gives me his paycheck. He got paid yesterday. The same as every week. Do you still have the check? No, not exactly. Well, what do you mean? Well, it wasn't the check he gave me, not really. Oh. You see, he'd cashed it on his way home from work. I see. But it was the usual amount, $80. Mr. Prosper must have paid him. What time did your husband get home? Is he all right? Well, last night? That's right. Well, he was later than usual. How late? If Morgan's in some kind of trouble, I've got a right to know. I've got a right, haven't I? Well, suppose you just answer our questions, would you? He wouldn't have done anything wrong. Not at a time like this. You see, we're... We're going to have a baby. Right. Morgan doesn't even think about anything else. He wants everything to be just perfect when the baby comes. That's why he couldn't have done anything wrong. Do you understand what I'm getting at? Yes, ma'am. That's why, whatever it is... Well, it just has to be a mistake. Well, you can help us clear it up. All right. What time do you come home? About... About 2.15. A.M.? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Did he say where he'd been? He called from the shop about 5.30 yesterday afternoon. Said they had a rush shipment to get out, that he'd be working late. Told me not to wait up for him. Had he ever worked this late before? Once or twice. Not till 2.15, maybe, but till nearly midnight. Were you awake when he got home? Yes, sir. Then you're sure of the time, 2.15. Yes, sir, I'm sure. You see, I couldn't get to sleep. I was kind of worried about him. I guess I kept watching the clock. It was 2.15 when he came in. What did he say? He was kind of put out. Provoked about my still being awake. Said I ought to get my rest. On account of the baby. Mm-hmm. I guess I sort of flared back. I said it was his fault on account of him being out so late. Oh, it wasn't a real fight or anything like that. Yes, sir. He said I oughtn't to blame him that we'd need all the extra money he could make. And he took out his wallet and gave me this week's pay, like I told you. Mm-hmm. Did he bring anything else home with him, Mr. Gilroy? With him? Extra clothes, ties, anything like that? No. You mind if I look around the apartment? Well, I know where everything is. If you'll tell me what you're looking for, maybe I can help you. Oh, that's all right. I can make out. Just the bedroom? Yes, the bed isn't made. Don't worry about it. I wasn't feeling very good this morning. Yes, ma'am. Would you like some coffee? No, ma'am, thank you. And what about your friend? No, I don't think so. Did Mr. Prosper really say he fired Morgan? Yes, ma'am. Well, did he say why? Well, you better ask your husband about that. Just isn't fair. A time like this. Mm-hmm. You don't appreciate Morgan. None of the people he's worked for. Yeah. Man does his best. This is the thanks he gets. Mrs. Gilroy, these ties belong to your husband? Well, yes. You know where he got them? Sure, there's some he made at the shop. Samples. I see. Does he have any more of the same kind? I don't think so. Don't tell me all this fuss is about a couple of ties. Well, it's a few more than that, ma'am. Oh? A hundred dozen. Except for the three ties which Frank had found in the bedroom, we were unable to turn up anything else that seemed to answer the description of the stolen property. 12.15 p.m. Frank stayed at the Gilroy apartment to wait for the suspect while I drove back to the tie factory. George Prosper identified the ties taken from Gilroy's closet. He said that they were samples manufactured in his plant. He also said that they had been given to the suspect and had not been stolen. 1.36 p.m., I checked Gilroy's name through R&I. They had nothing on him. 2.17 p.m., I returned to the suspect's apartment. Hi, Joe. Hi. Any sign of him? No, not so far. Where's Miss Gilroy? She's lying down. Oh. She's taking this pretty hard on all the pieces after you left. That's a shame. I guess you can't blame her much. No. And the heat and all. She's bound to be upset. Find out anything? Well, these are Gilroy's time. Yeah. Prosper gave them to him. Says they're somewhat similar to the ones that were stolen, but they're not the same. Uh-huh. Now, you want to go out for a sandwich? Yeah, I guess so. 
You eat already? No, I wasn't hungry. Mm-hmm. Can I bring you back some? Oh, milkshake, maybe. That'll do it. Okay. Talkman? Yeah, fine. I won't be long. Mm. Frank? Yeah? Miss Gilray's all right, isn't she? Well, I guess so. Well, I mean, she doesn't need a doctor or anything like that. Well, I don't know, Joe. Well, you'd know more about it than I do. Well, well I suppose if she needs a doctor, she'd call one. Yeah. Well, hurry it up anyway, will you? Sure. I thought I heard... Oh, you. Yes, ma'am. What happened to the other officer? Went out to get some lunch. Oh. You feeling better? Yes, thank you. The apartment's so stuffy today. That's what it was. Yes, ma'am. No, that isn't what it was at all. Ma'am? It's you and that other policeman. You've got me so nervous, I don't know whether I'm coming or going. Well, I'm sorry we had to bother you. You're just wasting your time. Morgan won't be home before 6 o'clock. He never gets off work and... I can't seem to get it through my head that he's not at the shop. Yes, ma'am. Look, the minute he comes in, I'll telephone you. Or if I hear from him, I promise, the minute he comes in... Well, it might be better if we wait. Don't you try to believe me. Morgan's honest, completely honest. Yes, ma'am. He hasn't done anything wrong. If he had, I'd know it. He'd have told me. There was one thing he didn't tell you, Miss Gilroy. Oh? That money he brought home last night. Well? Where it came from. Frank and I waited in the apartment until the suspect, Morgan Gilroy, came home. 6.17 p.m., we took him into custody and drove him down to the city hall for questioning. He was very uncooperative and for nearly an hour refused to discuss his whereabouts the previous night. 7.08 p.m., we continued the interrogation. How'd you happen to lose your job last week, Gilroy? Ask the boss. He says you weren't dependable. That's his opinion. You afraid to tell your wife he fired you? Who says I didn't tell her? Did you? Well, maybe you'll feel more like talking in the morning. Morning. That's right. You can't keep me down here tonight. Is that right? You want to drive Judy out of her mind? You saw how she acted when you guys took me in. What are you trying to do to her? We're not doing anything to her, Gilroy. All we want is some straight answers from you. It wasn't enough losing my job just when I needed it the most. Now you guys got to crawl on my back, too. When'd you get your last paycheck? From Prosper? Yeah. The day he fired me? That was last week sometime. I guess so. You gave your wife some money just last night. So? You told her it was this week's pay. Well, I had to tell her something, didn't yeah. I? I didn't want her worrying about me being out of work. I had to tell her something. Where'd you get the money? Borrowed it. Yeah. Maybe it looked like I was stealing, but I wasn't. I was going to tell him I was taking it. It was just a loan. Until I started drawing unemployment. I thought we was buddies, Steve and me. Somebody turned you over to the cops for a lousy 80 bucks. Who's Steve? Steve McGill. Isn't that why you picked me up? When were you with us, McGill? Last night. What time? Five o'clock, huh? Till when? Must have been nearly two. It was a little after when I got home. Where were you? I met Steve at a bar over in Vermont. What's the name of it? Black Pony. What'd you do then? I had a couple of drinks, bite to eat. All right, go ahead. Some other guys came in, friends of Steve's. I met him once or twice, too. Mm-hmm. Somebody said, let's get up a poker game. I told him I couldn't afford it. I didn't have any cash to spare. And Steve said for me not to worry that if I ran short, he'd stake me. Yeah. And we all went over to his place. I did real good for the first couple of hours. Only had five bucks to start with. Ran it up to over a hundred. Is that right? They were all ridden me. About how I was the one that didn't want to play. Yeah. Along about midnight, my luck started turning. By one thirty, I was cleaned up. Always seemed to be second high. Mm-hmm. Get a straight, sure as fate, somebody else would have a flush. Second high. The game break up at one thirty. Well, they played on a little longer without me. Fifteen, twenty minutes. I stayed on because I wanted to make a touch from Steve after the other guys went home. All right, go ahead. I didn't know how to bring up the subject. Not that Steve can't afford it. He's got plenty of dough, and he won over a couple of hundred in the game. Mm-hmm. I was kind of beating around the bush, and all of a sudden I noticed how drunk he was. Couldn't get his pants off. 
Mm-hmm. Just toppled over on the bed and went to sleep. At least he sure looked like he was asleep. Mm-hmm. Money was still laying there on the table while we'd been playing over 200 bucks. I only took 80. That ought to prove I ain't a thief. If I was, I'd have taken it all. What'd you do then? I went home. Did you stop off on the way? Well, I couldn't have. Ask Judy. She'll tell you. I was there by a little after two. Were you in the neighborhood of the tie factory last night? Not within a half a mile. What's that got to do with it, anyhow? Where's this friend of yours live? Steve? That's right. A little street just off Western, Gramercy Place. You got a telephone? I guess so. You know the number? Not offhand. It must be in the book. I'll check it, Joe. Last name's McGill, huh? That's right. What the heck's going on here? You guys didn't even know about Steve. He didn't turn me in. Hmm. Well, who did? A lot of ties were stolen last night. Factory you used to work for. Ties? That's right. Well, you think I had something to do with it? Your ex-boss does. Well, he hasn't got any right to accuse me. He's threatened to make trouble. Well, I may have sounded off when he fired me, but it was just talk. How could I make trouble for him? Somebody did. Well, we have a suspect. That was part one of The Big Tie, a Dragnet episode from April 12th, 1955. Today is June 6th. 2021. And that means we're in our WAMU member week, our way of saying thank you to everyone who's helped sustain us through this past 15 months and to ask you to continue or increase that support. Or if you haven't yet become a member, please do so now. Call 800-248-8850. We'll give you that number again in a second. Or go to WAMU.org and click on donate. 800-248-8850. 8850. I'm Murray Horwitz. This is the big broadcast, and tonight's your only chance to become a member or increase your support during our show. Before we get to the conclusion of Dragnet, please, by all means, go to WAMU.org and click on Donate or call 800-248-8850 and become a sustaining member of WAMU for only $9 a month or more and request one of our fabulous summer thank you gifts. As you go to WAMU.org or call 800-248-8850. That's right. You can become a sustaining member of WAMU, a sustaining member of the big broadcast, keeping us here on Sunday nights. And you can become like uh, Kitty and Barry, who are two of our sustaining members who are part of our big broadcast community. So we would like you to hear a message from Kitty and Barry. Hi, I'm Kitty Yancey. And I'm Barry Blackman. We're from Washington, D.C. The Big Broadcast is appointment radio for us. It's a retreat from the real world of troubles that we all know. And in the summer, we turn up the volume and sit on our patio. I'm sure our neighbors appreciate the show as well. (laughs) If you love the Big Broadcast, as we do, join it today. At WAMU.org or call 800-248-8850. Oh, I love that. And I hope their neighbors do appreciate the show as much as they do. You know, Jill, it's interesting to me. I wonder if Gunsmoke, instead of Kitty and Matt, what if it had been Kitty and Barry? You think that's a good name for a U.S. Marshal? Absolutely. I'm not sure about that. Anyway, (laughs) the other thing about calling 800-248-8850 or going to WAMU.org and clicking on Donate is that we have about 61 stickers left. Our Star Wars big broadcast, WAMU holographic, big as your palm, five-inch stickers that are going to be great on a notebook, great on your laptop, great 
stuck on your forehead so you can really show your loyalty as you walk around. Right now, <laughs> go to 800-248-8850 or call WAMU.org. And you can join Sarita from Springfield, Virginia. She made a gift and she says, I am a sustainer, but I cannot resist getting Star Wars uh, the decal, longtime listener to the big broadcast for over 30 years. So mm. thank you so much, Sarita. This is exactly the kind of member comment that I love because it, it really encapsulates everything about the big broadcast uh, fan base, right? She's been listening for 30 years. Why have we been able to be here for 30 years? Well, it's because members love the show. They show their love. And uh, when we do these these member weeks, they call 1-800-248-8850 or, or they go on to WAMU.org and, you know, they pay it forward, right? They show their love and then it's here for, I don't know, what, another 30 years? What do you have on your calendar, Mary? Can you be here for another 30 years? Listen, you know, John Hickman had the show for 25 years. The beloved Ed Walker had it for 25 years. So we just finished our 50. We're a fifth of the way there, Jill. We, we, we That's right. We That's right. We, we, you know, the, the Star Wars thing really is something. And we have a comment from Thomas who uh, wrote from Los Angeles, California. Yes, folks, we have listeners from coast to coast and, in fact, around the world. And Thomas made a gift from L.A. and he said, The fact that you are playing the Star Wars series brought me to tears. I bought the tape version years ago. Great job, WAMU and Big Broadcast. Thanks to technology and streaming so I can listen to WAMU online. Thank you, Thomas. And, you know, it, one of the things, it's an emotional thing that he wrote. And it's it's something about radio, the power of radio. It really is a family. It really is emotional. And if you even feel a little hint of that, a soupçon, please go right now to WAMU.org, click on Donate, or call 800 248 8850. In the meantime, I need to remind you that this is WAMU Washington, your listener-supported NPR news station from American University. In HD at 88.5, at WRAU 88.3 in Ocean City, on your smart speaker, and online at WAMU.org. That's also the site where you can click on Donate, or you can call 800-248-8850. Then listen to hear the end of tonight's Dragnet adventure, The Big Tie, from 1955 and Dragnet. We were unable to contact the suspect's friend, Steve McGill, until the following morning. He confirmed the story Gilroy had told us and refused to press any charges against him. From McGill, we got the names of the other three men who had played cards the night the tie factory was broken into. They also confirmed Gilroy's alibi. Sunday, September 11th, 10.46 a.m., Morgan Gilroy was released. Frank and I went back to the office. Now we got nothing. That's right. You think his wife was telling the truth? Hmm? About him getting home at 2.15. We can't prove he didn't. No, I guess not. Well, it seems to be cooling off a little, doesn't it? Yeah. Probably would have been able to sleep last night, too. Yeah. That's my luck. Well, maybe you can grab a nap this afternoon. No, I don't feel right when I sleep in the daytime, Joe. Isn't good for a person, you know. Throws your system right out of whack. Mm. Except for my brother-in-law, Armin. He can sleep anytime, anyplace. No strain at all. Okay. Burglary Friday. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've got it. Well, when did it happen? I see. Right. Bye. 
Men's clothing store out in Crenshaw. Owner came in this morning to do some work on the books. Uh-huh. Somebody jimmied the back door during the night. Sold a supply of suits, slacks, sport coats. Yeah. And a batch of hand-painted ties. Frank and I drove out to Nimbo's men's store on Crenshaw Boulevard. We talked to the owner, Carl Nimbo. He showed us how the store had been entered and gave us a description of the stolen merchandise. The thief had apparently followed the same M.O. that had been used in the Prosper Tie Company. We were unable to learn anything more about the suspect's identity. Several days later, a tie shop in Hollywood reported the loss of over 200 nip ties. The following night, a men's clothing store on Wilshire Boulevard was burglarized. Investigation indicated that all these crimes were the work of the same man or men. Burglars who were known to have used similar M.O.s were interrogated. No leads were developed. Monday, September 19th, 8.06 p.m., Frank and I were getting ready to go off duty. You want to stop by the house on your way home? No, I'm pretty tired. I think I'll hit the sack early. We could watch a little TV. It's supposed to be a good fight tonight. It's too late for that now, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Oh, we could watch something else. You're not going to go to sleep at 8 o'clock, are you? No. Well, come on, then. I'll get it. All right. Burglary Smith. Who? Oh, yes, sir. Sure, I remember. Yes, sir. I see. What's that address? We'll meet you out in front. Right away, yes, sir. Guy owns that tie factory, George Prosper. Yeah. He's calling from a bar over on Normandy. Uh-huh. One of his stolen ties just walked in. We drove out to a small bar and grill on the corner of Normandy and Kingsley Drive. George Prosper was standing in front of the place when we pulled up. He walked over to us. Evening, Mr. Prosper. Uh, good evening. How are you? Pretty fair. You sure this is one of your ties now? Positive, positive. It was a special. Worked out the design myself. I see. There isn't another one like it anywhere. I see. Can you point them out to us? Mm-hmm. I see. Through the window there. That corner booth. That one there, huh? Yeah. Tall fellow sitting alone. Okay, thanks. Uh, you want me to come in with you? No, sir. We'll take care of it. We might need you later on, though. Whatever you say. You know how to get in touch with me. Yes, sir. Good night. Good night. Good night, sir. for a minute. Okay, sit down. Well? We're police officers. Okay. What's your name? Trandall. Dick Trandall. You got a job? Sure. Doing what? CPA. Public accountant? That's right. Must make pretty good money, huh? What makes you think so? The way you're dressed. I'm single. I don't have a lot of expenses. It's a nice suit. Thanks. Remember where you bought it? Sure, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Went up there on my vacation a week ago. Can we see the label? Okay. Okay? Yeah. One drink? No, thanks. My pleasure. Nope. You ever been arrested, Trendle? Sure. Tell us about it, will you? Speeding? Nothing else. No. You get that tie up north, too? No. Where'd you get it? Fell I met a couple of nights ago. Got to talking to him in a bar. What bar? Oh, on Olympic, down toward town. Don't remember the name of it. What about this fellow? We were talking. Said he was in the clothing business. Happened to mention my hobby was stamp collecting. Yeah. Said sure was a coincidence. What do you mean by that? One of his customers was a stamp collector, too. Had the factory make up a special tie for him, designed it like rare postage stamps. Oh. It's this one right here, the one I'm wearing. Uh-huh. Offered to sell it to me. Because yeah. a customer it was made for it left L.A. He had the tie with him? In his hotel. Took me over there to show me. What hotel was it? Oh, I don't know. A little place a couple of blocks away from the bar. You think you could find it again? I guess so. Did you go up to his room? Yeah, he showed me the tie. Showed me a lot of other clothes, too. Did you buy anything else? Nothing else I needed. I stocked up when I was in San Francisco. Didn't need the tie either, but it was a real bargain. Yeah. Three fifty. It's all you asked for. Felt like this is worth at least seven or eight bucks. Mm-hmm. Sure couldn't see how I was making any profit selling it at a price like that. He made a profit. 
Well, it doesn't seem possible. It must have cost him more than three fifty. No, it didn't. Huh? But it will. Dick Trundle gave us a description of the man who had sold him the tie. He agreed to accompany us to the bar where they'd met. 10.17 p.m., Frank and I interviewed the bartender at the BTJ Cafe on Olympic Boulevard. He remembered the suspect and said he had been in several times during the past week. He couldn't tell us his name or address. We left the bar and canvassed the vicinity for the hotel where the suspect had taken Trundle. 10.58 p.m., Trundle identified the Mortensen Hotel as the suspect's residence. Frank and I went inside and talked to the clerk on duty. To the best of my knowledge, there's only one person staying here who fits that description. That's Mr. Lafferty. Mm-hmm. He's one of the nicest gentlemen you ever meet. He's in the clothing business. Mm. Is he around now? Uh, let me check his box. Yes, yes, he must be in his room. The key's not here. What room is that? That's uh, 212. He's very careful, Mr. Lafferty. He always leaves his key at the desk whenever he goes out. All right, thanks. He's generous, too. Generous to a fault. You don't say. Are you sure? See this tie? He gave it to me. Is that right? Yeah, it's one of my favorites. That's too bad. Hmm? You may have to give it back. Frank and I walked up to the second floor. Room 212 was at the end of the hall near the fire escape. The transom was open and we could see a light inside the room. Who is it? Come on, open up. Yes, sir. Just a minute. What can I do for you, Jack? Police officer, stand still. Oh, police. You're wasting your time. I don't believe in firearms. He's light, Joe. What did I tell you? All right, where's the stuff? I suppose you mean the items I stole? That's what we mean. I've already managed to dispose of a good deal of it. What's left is in the closet, in the Not bureau. Uh, by the way, the burglar kit's under the bed. Thanks. Always believe in cooperating with the police. Things seem to work out better that way. Yeah. Although, frankly, I'm surprised you weren't here sooner. Is that so? Last week. That's when I was expecting you. Oh, I'm sorry we were late. That looks like we got everything we need, Joe. All right, let's go. You didn't overlook the tools. Don't worry. Last week, I, I was certain you'd be here then. Mm-hmm. Right after my second job. I've never been able to pull more than two before, uh, without being arrested, I mean. You don't say. It was four this time, you know. Yeah, we know. Four jobs. Well, that's a new record for me. Well, let's don't let it go to your head, huh? Oh, I don't take all the credit. If I'd ever worked Los Angeles before, you probably would have found me sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, have to go somewhere else when I get out. Yeah. Maybe up north to Seattle. I never worked there. Mm-hmm. Might be able to pull five jobs before they catch me. Set myself a new record. Yeah, well, that's not likely. You'll see. Just wait till I get out. We won't be around that long. The story you've just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On January 7th, trial was held in Department 98, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. Russell Herbert Lafferty was tried and convicted of burglary in the first degree, four counts. Because of his previous record, he was adjudged to be an habitual criminal and was sentenced to life imprisonment in the state penitentiary, San Quentin, California. Dragnet, the story of your police force in action is a presentation of the United States Armed Forces Radio Service.
From the spring of 1955, the Dragnet episode called The Big Tie. I'm Murray Horwitz. I am wearing a tie, really, and that's because this is a special occasion, your only opportunity during WAMU's member week to show your support for the big broadcast during the big broadcast when it means the most. Please go right now to WAMU.org and click on Donate or pick up your phone and call 800-248-8850, 800-248-8850, and take advantage of your only chance to give to the big broadcast on a Sunday night this week. Co-producer Jill Errold Bailey is here, and we'll hear a word from her. And actually, she's got some words from some of you who've already given, while the rest of you go to WAMU.org or call 800-248-8850. We are seeing a lot of member love this evening, and we love it. So I want to share some words here. We have Chin from Washington, D.C., who made a gift and says Star Wars, which we're going to be airing this summer, Star Wars was the program that introduced me to NPR. It began a now routine part of my daily life. My kids now listen to the big broadcast when we are out on a Sunday night, so I feel like I'm paying it forward. Uh, Yes. Yes. You are paying it forward. You are paying it forward, and and you're paying it forward in in multiple ways. You're, You're introducing it to your children who will keep that legacy going forward and you are making a gift to ensure that it will be there for your children 30 years from now um, as they are introducing to their children you know we really have this this um, wonderful legacy of the big broadcast it's one of the legacy programs of WANU and it's here because members before you have stepped up because our members have stepped up this evening Um, I have one more here that I wanted to read uh, all the way up here that says, Ruti from Rocks, Rockville, Maryland says, I am a sustaining member, but I have to support my gateway to the week. My Sunday evening with the big broadcast is holy, and everyone knows I don't answer the phone and just sit and watch the radio. Uh, sit and watch the radio, just as I did as a child. Some things never change. Still addicted <laughs> to storytelling. So that's wonderful. Well, and I'm sure she doesn't answer the phone, but you can use your phone right now. You can call 1-800-248-8850. You can speak to um, a, a, a member um, a real our person. team, right. right? A real person, a member of our <laughs> team of WAMU, and and uh, you can choose a thank you gift when you do make your sustaining membership uh, gift. Whether that's nine dollars a month, twelve dollars a month, twenty dollars a month, we have a wonderful array, something for everybody, Murray. Um, so again, <laughs> you can call one eight hundred two four eight eighty eight fifty or go online to wamu.org. You know, I, what Rudy says is, is very Im- impressive to me about storytelling and loving storytelling. Uh, you know, I don't want to diss any other medium, but many of the longer series that we see on television, there I said it, uh, nowadays that are popular, they get so attenuated after you get to season 15 of whatever it is that the plots take on these ridiculous twists. These characters end up doing strange things. It's hard to sustain the narrative over that length of time. And one of the great things about old-time radio is the stories are generally very self-contained, they're well-structured, they hang together, and they're satisfying. If you are satisfied by what you hear on Sunday night on the big broadcast, please go right now to WAMU.org, click on Donate, or call 
800-248-8850. And we try to provide for you on the big broadcast every Sunday night uh, an, a, a choice of, of uh, different genres so that there is storytelling for every taste, right? And and if you go right now to wamu.org, you will find that our member gifts kind of line up to some of those. So um, if you are someone who loves Orson Welles, if you're a War of the Worlds fan, then you might be the $9 a month person or the one-time gift of $108. That is the WAMU Park Pack with a beautiful flying disc. So you can <laughs> fly that over your neighbor's backyard this summer. And, I see what and you did cry. there, The Martians are coming. The Martians are coming. If you are a noir fan, I know we have Dragnet here, Borderline Noir. Um, certainly Jack Webb was a fan of noir. Philip Marlowe, uh, yours truly, Donnie Dollar. Well, maybe you're a chapeau kind of person. So for $12 a month, there is a WAMU mesh back hat. You can show off your support for WAMU and the big broadcast. Um, so there is something for everyone there. If you just go on to WAMU.org, choose your level of giving or call 1-800-248-8850. And I want to make mention for just a few people out there who might be interested in becoming uh, a member of the WAMU leadership circle that's for a gift of a hundred dollars a month or more a sustaining gift it'll be you know taken from your bank account or you can do it on your credit card although we prefer to get it straight from the bank account and save ourselves a lot of charges um for a one-time gift of $1,200 or $100 a month, you can become part of the WMU Leadership Circle, and that entitles you to special visits, special stuff. There's all kinds of things that our, our, our staff makes available to you. 800-248-8850 or WAMU.org. We have to mention that it is June 6th, and we want to take a moment to commemorate the successful Allied invasion of Europe in World War II D-Day, 77 years ago today. Here is ex-CBS News anchor and current NPR sidekick on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Bill Curtis, recounting the story on the radio compendium, We Interrupt This Broadcast. It was the biggest overseas military operation in the biggest war in world history, and its best-kept secrets as well. D-Day. A military term for the first day of a military operation was a fitting description for the event which turned the tide of battle in World War II. Plans by the United States and Britain to invade German-occupied Northern Europe had been in the works for nearly two years before the summer of 1944, when the supreme commander of those Allied forces, General Dwight Eisenhower, gave his assent to begin a massive landing at the French coastal town of Normandy. Those still awake in America and listening to their radios in the wee hours of June 6, 1944, were most likely listening to the harmonic band of Leo Diamond and his Harmonaires, when suddenly, at 12.41 a.m. Eastern Time, the broadcast was interrupted with the first news of the invasion. We interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. The German news agency Transocean said today in a broadcast that the Allied invasion had begun. I repeat... The German news agency, Transocean, said today in a broadcast that the Allied invasion had begun. There was no Allied confirmation. Within hours, official confirmation of the invasion came in a broadcast transmitted from the supreme headquarters of the Allied Expeditionary Force in London. Soldiers, 
sailors and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. When the news broke, the NBC radio network sounded their four-chime alert. The fourth chime was a note added to the familiar three-chime NBC musical signature. It was an emergency signal, sounded on the air, to affect the immediate gathering of key NBC operating personnel responsible for broadcasting news. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the NBC newsroom in New York, where we are standing by to bring you the news of the reported operations against the continent by the Allies, which only the German radio has so far announced. The National Broadcasting Company intends to continue with its network service coast to coast throughout the rest of this night. This is our official notification to stations affiliated with NBC that we will continue broadcasting throughout the remainder of these nighttime hours. This is the National Broadcasting Company. For the next 24 hours, network radio was on flash basis, ready for round-the-clock operation to broadcast uninterrupted news of the invasion, which Allied forces had termed Operation Overlord, but which would remain forever celebrated as simply D-Day. Despite heavy resistance by German troops, the landings were a tactical success, as Allied troops gained their first foothold in France since the beginning of the German occupation of that nation four years earlier. Less than three months later, on August 25th, 1944, Allied troops liberated the French capital of Paris. Legendary anchorman, as they call him on Saturday mornings on NPR, Bill Curtis, helping us mark this 77th anniversary of D-Day, June 6th, 1944. It's the big broadcast on WAMU 88.5. I'm Murray Horwitz. With me is Jill Arald Bailey. And this is the only time during this member week that we'll be coming to you to say thanks for all your support to keep us going this past 15 months. Now it's your chance to help us build back up. If you can increase your support, please do. If you've not been a member, please remedy that situation. Go right now to WAMU.org and click on Donate or call 800-248-8850. That's 800-248-8850. Now, you know it wouldn't be a big broadcast if we didn't play a comedy. And we've got what I think is one of your favorites now or At least so our email and Facebook postings tell us. It's an episode of The Halls of Ivy, starring Ronald Coleman and Benita Hume. And I guess you could say it celebrates the theater. There are some jokes about early TV and its rivalry with radio. We'll hear a send-up of the Madison Avenue advertising parlance of the time that attached wise to every noun, language-wise, and listen to a masterful comic performance by Elliot Lewis with exquisite timing as President Hall's old college pal, Harry. It is about, uh, uh, well, Jill, you had a thought about this. Well, it is about an aspiring playwright, and we programmed it in honor of the Tonys that we will not be enjoying this spring. They've been postponed until this fall. Mm, I feel your pain. So here's a theatrical episode from NBC just a couple of days after New Year's in 1951 and the series The Halls of Ivy. Ladies and 
Ladies and gentlemen, the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, presents The Halls of Ivy, starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. College, that is, in the town of Ivy, USA. A vast silence has recently descended upon the campus. The midterm examinations will soon begin, and like most college presidents, Dr. William Todd Hunter Hall enjoys this terminal love. It gives him a chance to lock himself up in his study and polish off the accumulated unfinished business. And that's what he's doing at the moment. His wife, the former Victoria Cromwell of the London stage, has just answered the front doorbell. She enters the living room with a visitor and says... Well, if you're quite certain it's important, I- I'll try and get him out. But I must warn you, Mr... Uh... Nolan. Harry Nolan. Well, I-, I must warn you, Mr. Nolan, that I may not succeed. Once my husband locks himself up in his study, he becomes entirely oblivious to the rest of the world. In fact, compared to Dr. Hall when he's concentrating, a Hindu faker on a bed of nails could be termed flighty. <laughs> <laughs> it's important. Well, I do my best. <laughs> William! 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 The house is on fire! William! (laughs) How important is it, Mr. Nolan? I've flown in all the way from New York to offer your husband $150,000, Mrs. Hall. You rate it. A hundred... William! I'll get him out. I'll use the old piano routine. The old... Yeah, the old piano routine. I generally reserve it for just such emergencies as this. It never fails. Holds him out by the ear, in fact. Now, you watch. In less than 20 seconds, he'll unlock the door, open it, stride over to the piano, and when you watch, just sit down, sit down over there on the couch, and I'll join you in a moment. Are you ready? Ready. Yeah. Here we go. You old son of a gun. Hasn't it been a long time? Hasn't it been a long time? You haven't changed a bit. You haven't changed a bit. (laughs) You old son of a gun. Uh, You old son of a gun. I'm delighted to see you. I'm delighted to see you. You look great. You look great. You old son of a gun. You old son of a gun. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, hairbreadth Harry. Bouncing Billy. (laughs) You old son of a gun. (laughs) You old son of a gun. (laughs) Well, that clears that up, doesn't it? (laughs) 
I'm sorry, Victoria. Have you met? Oh, yes, yes, we've met without the tribal chanting, of course, but we've met. <laughs> well, we're fraternity brothers, Harry and I. We've roamed together for three years. We shared everything. Clothes, money, girls. Ho, ho, ho. Those were the days. <laughs> Harry, where have you been? I haven't heard from you since, oh, 1940. Oh, out on the West Coast till a few months ago. Then they made me vice president in charge of operations for the whole network and sent me east to New York. Still in radio, hmm? Radio? Aren't you quaint? <laughs> no, television's my baby now, and it's quite a bouncing baby, too. Yeah, I know. We get the same kind of reception on our set. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Billy, that's why I'm here. What would you do if I offered you a certified check for $150,000? He'd take it quick like a bunny. Uh, darling, please. <laughs> A uh, hundred and fifty thousand in return for what? We want the TV rights to Ivy's football games next year. I see. Harry, make it a hundred and sixty thousand and the television rights are yours. Oh, I wish I could. But I can't go a penny above a hundred and fifty. Business-wise, it's not worth it. No, Sponsor-wise, it might be. Market-wise, it's not. Money-wise, it's not too much. Profit-wise, it is. <laughs> Food-wise, would anybody care for lunch? <laughs> lunch? Oh, I, I suggest we wait until Professor Barrett arrives, Victoria. I invited him to drop over for lunch. Good heavens, is old Barrett still head of the drama department? Yeah, he certainly is. No, Harry, I can't possibly take less than 160. I'd like you to have the rights, but I know you don't expect me to give it to you out of sentiment. Oh, of course not. And I'd like to give you 160000 but I know you don't expect me to be guided by sentimental considerations. <laughs> now, I always say there's no place in business for sentiment. Don't you agree, Mrs. Hall? No, well, you asked the wrong person. I, I'm the original sentimental Susie. I can't bear to disappoint people. And the more I like them, the less I can bear it. I go all melted buttery inside. <laughs> She's sweet, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, I'm a living doll. <laughs> in, in business matters, not very wise. Speaking wise, wise, that is. I agree with you, though, Harry. When it comes to business, my head rules and not my heart. I find that you can't read the fine print with tears in your eyes. No, it's the same with me. Why, well, I wouldn't even ask someone to do business with me on a sentimental basis. I don't con people, and I don't want to be conned. Right. 150. I won't budge a jot. 160. I won't budge a tittle. I always meant to ask about that. Exactly how does one go about budging jots and tittles? <laughs> later, darling, later. Billy, I'll tell you what. I'll offer 150,000 plus a job for you. For me? We're setting up a swank 39-week television series. It's a drama series, world's best plays, that sort of thing. We need a master of ceremonies. Someone to tell the audience about each play, its history, aesthetics, significance. And maybe, between acts, peddle a little soap. <laughs> How would you like to do it? Pays very well. I? I? We want someone like you, someone with prestige, someone with distinction. You'd make a very good appearance, and you've a, a fine, resonant speaking voice. Well, but I don't quite, uh... uh you really... <clears throat> you really think so? <laughs> oh, I don't, uh... <clears throat> no, 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 I couldn't. It's quite impossible. No, no. Well, don't decide it off the cuff. Think about it. I tell you what, go back into your study and finish whatever it is you were doing, and then we'll... No, 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 I've quite finished. I was merely reading a manuscript at Professor Barrett's request. 
A play, as a matter of fact. And if you should change your mind and decide to present a series of the world's worst plays, you'd be interested in this one. <laughs> Thank you, no. If we ever do present such a series, I still have some of the masterpieces I composed when I was taking Barrett's playwriting course. <laughs> Talk about turkeys. <laughs> Yours couldn't possibly be more aromatic than this one. <laughs> oh, I didn't know you'd read it, Victoria. Well, yeah, I happened to see it on your desk, and after glancing at the first line, became perversely fascinated by it. After each page, a small, still voice inside would urge, Go on, Victoria, read a bit more. It'll feel so good when you stop. <laughs> plays in my day, but I've never before encountered such mishmash. Mishmash? Oh, yes, yes, of course, mishmash. <laughs> I'm glad you agree with me. Yeah, who wrote it? Well, Barrett wouldn't say. You know how sensitive he's always been about hurting his students' feelings. Oh, yes. Whenever he read one of my little gems to the class, the knowledge that the author would remain anonymous was worth six dollars a minute. <laughs> I can't understand how, after four months with Barrett, Barrett, the greatest authority in the field of theatrical literature and dramaturgy, anyone could turn in such a... a mush-mush. Uh, mish-mush. Thank you. <laughs> the author of this play is wasting his and Barrett's time. And if Barrett is too sensitive to tell the student, I shall be happy to do it myself. Do you mean to say you have the strength to tell a writer what you really think of his work? Well, of course. When my opinion is requested, I, I always give it as honestly and as fully as I can. Don't you do the same? Mm, no, not exactly, but there are scores of ways of answering the question, what do you think, without uh, hurting the author's feelings? I'm sure I can't think of any. Oh, yes, of course you can. Whenever a playwright asks me, what do you really think of it? I always seem to be able to make him happy by looking deeply into his eyes and saying, that's a play. <laughs> can't possibly call it a lie. It was a play. <laughs> The one I always use is, you really have something there. <laughs> of course, I don't want to say what it is they really have. <laughs> and it's also effective to tell a playwright, there are many good things about it. Now, he doesn't know you're referring to the grade of paper it's written on, or the accuracy of the spelling, or the cleanliness of the typing. <laughs> have you ever tried, of course it needs work. <laughs> yes, ah, but that's, that's sophistry. Weaseling. No. No, I shall tell Barrett, or the student, exactly what I think and let the chips fall where they may. I have too much respect for art to respect the artist. Hmm, uh, epigram. <laughs> well, I'd rather die than tell a playwright what I thought about his work. Well, unless, of course, I liked it. Oh, that must be Barrett now. Oh, good. Uh, excuse me, Harry, while I answer the door. Uh-huh. Do you think um, Professor Barrett will remember you after all these years? Oh, he might. I once said something to him that made him chuckle every time he saw me during my two years at Ivy. Oh, really? What? Well, I'd written a one-act play about the death of William Shakespeare. And Barrett called me into his office and very gently, very tactfully, but very devastatingly pointed out some of its flaws. When he finished, I said I felt it would have been much, much better if I had died and Shakespeare had written about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 Professor, not in the least. You're exactly on time. Good afternoon, Professor Barrett. Oh, nice of you to have me, Mrs. Holmes. I wonder if you happen to remember Mr. Nolan. He's a former pupil of yours. Of course, of course. <laughs> I remember him well. It would have been much better, sir, if I had died in Shakespeare. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Very good to see you again, sir. Uh, thank you. We were just discussing the play you asked me to read. 
Uh, should we talk about it now and then have lunch, or would you prefer... Uh, no, to... no, uh, let me hear about it now. Well, I feel very strongly, Professor Barrett, that the author... By the way, would you mind telling me who wrote it? I did. I feel very... <laughs> what? Yes, uh, I wrote it, uh, wrote it, rewrote it, and polished it over a period of six or seven years. What do you think of it? The truth now. <laughs> you wrote... Yes. Uh, well, Professor... Um, uh, Professor Barrett, that's a play. <laughs> yes, yes, I know it's a play, but what about it? <laughs> you, 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 you have something there. Uh, but what? Uh, good, good, many, many good things about it. Yes, I know. The margins are straight and so on, but the play. What about the play? Uh, the play. Yes. Um, well, of course, uh, you, you realize it needs work. You could say that about the human race to the great creator himself. Uh, be more specific. Do you think it's good or bad? Were you moved at all or were you unaffected? Uh, well... I feel that... Well, suppose we discuss it after lunch. I think it's ready now. Ah, <laughs> lunch, thank heavens. Yes, indeed. I've been looking forward to it all day. <laughs> yes, let's go in at once, Victoria, and we, we will talk about your play when we finish. Lunch. <laughs> what a lovely thought. A nice hot lunch. Yes, indeed. Uh, surprisingly warm for January, isn't it? <laughs> Part one of, that's part one of The Halls of Ivy from January 3rd, 1951. A little bit about the theater from the big broadcast and from me and our co-producer, Jill Arald Bailey. Right, we're playing that in honor of the postponed Tonys. It's mm. kind of been a disruption to tradition as we've had many of those over the past 15 months. But I have to mention, um, you know, that this year in this non-traditional past year's Members have kept the big broadcast here on Sunday nights. We have continued to be here every Sunday night through this non-traditional 15 months. And we are looking forward to our members making sure we're here going forward. Um, it's a group effort, really. It's a team effort. We're here today because of the members that stepped up. And this can be your moment to step up and be a member of the team. And the way you do that is right now, you can call 1-800-248-8850. Again, 1-800-248-8850. Or go on to wamu.org and choose your level of giving so that you can be a part of this team. You, you know, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the team effort because you turn on your radio and there we are. But it's not that simple. There are a lot of people working behind the scenes. Um, we're almost our producer, Wendy Pretty, is telling us that we've just got a few more of those Star Wars stickers left. And here's a member of the team that's unsung, Chris Tylek, who did a great job designing this 
beautiful holographic Star Wars big broadcast sticker when you go to uh, WAMU.org and click on Donate or call 800-248-8850. Do it quickly, folks, because there are only a few left. They went like hotcakes. Um, there are all kinds of people working behind the scenes. It costs money. So just to do the numbers for a second, this fiscal year, our budget shrank because of obvious reasons and the membership slice of the pie that we use to fund our operations was 49 percent by far the largest slice well this year individual giving giving grew to 56 percent we rely on you now more than ever so please go right now to 800-248-8850 on your phone 800-248-8850 or your other device, go to WAMU.org and click on Donate. And, you know, we often will hear a question about when I become a member, when I'm putting my my dollars into the pot, you know, how does that pot get spent, right? How, how does the big broadcast get on the air? And um, the team effort of, of bringing the big broadcast to you on Sunday night, um, it starts with the members, with your gifts, your, your promises throughout the year, your sustaining membership um, that you make when you call 1-800-248-8850. It starts with that. And then we have our fixed costs at WMU. Um, we have the staff costs, obviously. We have the engineers. This past uh, 15 months, we've had three engineers helping bring the big broadcast to you. We've had Douglas Bell. We've had Kenny Pirog. We have Mike Kidd, who's with us here tonight, making us uh, sound great. Thank you, Mike. Um, and we also have, you know, this is old-time radio, but one of the things that's amazing is there's new old-time radio being discovered all the time, as in people are finding in their, in their attics transcription discs. Um, collectors are constantly finding old-time radio, and uh, we want to acquire that. If, if some new audio comes out from a, a treasure that's been long lost for 60 years, we want to acquire that. So that's sometimes where some of our budget goes. Also, research costs, memberships to newspaper and print media archives so that we can do the research to bring you the information about these shows and not just present them to you. So we do have fixed costs here. We belong to memberships, and you can belong to our membership. Um, you can become a member of WAMU, become a member of the big broadcast, be a member of the team. Again, call 1-800-248-8850 or go online to WAMU.org. We can suggest gifts for you, you know, a one-time gift of $75, $100, or better yet, become a sustaining member for 12 bucks a month, uh, 100 bucks a month. Um, or, you know, you can combine those instead of $75, give us $12 a month and for $150, $10 a month, that's $120 for the year, $20 a month, that's almost $250 a year. Thank you. Every gift matters. That's the important thing. And it's really easy. It takes a couple of minutes. 800-248-8850 or WAMU.org. And when you choose your level of giving, be sure to select your thank you gift for the level amount that, that matches. We still have 29 stickers left. So whatever you choose as your level of giving, whatever your thank you gift you choose, you will automatically receive the big broadcast Star Wars sticker if you call right now. There's 29 left of this five-inch holographic sticker that commemorates the big broadcast airing 
uh, the big the <laughs> the big broadcast airing the radio dramatization of the first Star Wars film this summer. So again, call one eight hundred two four eight eighty eight fifty. And while you're doing that, listen to part two. How is President Hall going to get out of this one? From the beginning of nineteen fifty one of NBC's The Halls of Ivy. <laughs> Now back to the Halls of Ivy. Professor Barrett and Harry Nolan are conversing in the living room of the Hall's home. Dr. Hall, having delayed the inevitable as long as he possibly could, has gone to his study to fetch Professor Barrett's play. Mrs. Hall joins him there and says... Howdy. You all right? No, but I've got to go through with this, and how can I possibly tell such a gracious and gentle friend what I really think of his effort? Mm. It's only a play, darling. I can't be dismissed as likely as that. Like any work of art, it's a creation, just as surely as a child is a creation. And like a child, the greater the pain and the greater the effort expended upon it, the more it is loved. Professor Barrett has worked on this play for six or seven years. You heard him. And it's as cruel to shatter his conception of its merit as it would be to say to a doting father, is that your child's face or a Halloween mask it's wearing? Well, then, I suggest you tell him we think it's one of the most powerful and beautiful plays ever written. Ah, but a favorable reaction from me would only spur him on to submit it to some producer. And that would lead to unbearable humiliation. Don't forget, in in the past 30 years... He's taught at least a score of students who have become quite respectable writers and achieved reasonable success. To say nothing of the few who haven't been in the least bit respectable and have achieved even greater success. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Charlie, I don't mean to press, but we really can't stay in here with the others waiting for us in there. All right. Hail Caesar, we who are about to die. Uh, I'm ready, darling. Have you come to a decision? Yes, I'll tell him the truth. Perhaps you're right. Perhaps it is only a play. Um, you, uh, you wouldn't, uh, care to, uh... No, 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 of course not. Uh, <laughs> forgive me, I'm sorry I asked. Uh, you, you go all melted buttery inside, don't you? Yes. Come on. That's what I thought. After you, Vicky. I'm sorry I took so long, Professor Barrett. My desk is such a frightful heap of accumulated papers yeah, that I, I... I quite understand. My wife often refers to my own desk as the city dump. <laughs> well, uh, what do you think of the play? The truth now? Oh, I, I intend to speak truthfully. I know you feel as keenly as I that we must always make it a point to fake the facts. I, I mean, face the facts. Steady, Doctor. Your Freudian slip is showing. <laughs> uh, no, no, Professor. Really, I intend to tell you exactly what I think about your play. Without fear or favor? Without fear or favor. Good. Well... Uh, in, in my estimation, your play, uh, your play, uh, by the way, speaking of plays, did anyone see the end run Gerby made in the New Year's Day game? Of- <laughs> remarkable, remarkable, simply remarkable. Was it? Oh, yes, remarkable. Wasn't it, Victoria? Oh, yes, yes, it was. I, I remember remarking to you at the time that it was remarkable. Wasn't it, though? <laughs> Eleven yards. <laughs> what the devil's so remarkable about that? It was the wrong direction. Uh, speaking of football, uh, what do you think of my play? Uh, well, um... Uh, 
This is what I think. I'm really very anxious to know, not only because it's my first play, but because, uh, uh, I don't mind telling you, I, I'm very anxious to have it produced. I, I might have worked on it a few years more, I suppose, but I can no longer indulge myself. I, I don't quite understand, Professor. I need money. Quite a lot of it, the doctors informed me. Doctors? Are you ill, Professor Barrett? My wife. I, I never realized. Yes, she's quite ill. When they told me, I naturally thought of my play immediately. It's really the only large asset I have. All my... Um, my hopes are centered upon it. I see. I'm dreadfully sorry about Mrs. Barrett. Yes, so am I. Oh, well, um... Go ahead, Dr. Hall. Is it, in your estimation, a good play? I... 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 Dear Professor Barrett, we both love you. And it... it's a bad play. Although beautifully constructed and technically precise, it's entirely devoid of feeling beyond the art of any actor and will induce in the audience neither laughter nor tears. That is what William and I, in all truth, think. I see. You must know, with all your experience, that there's no truth about a play's merits. I mean, no one can say with certainty that it's good or bad. But, but you asked us to tell you what we felt. And we felt what we told you. Thank you. Professor Barrett, there, there are some who light the torch and some who hold it aloft. Who is to say which of these is the greater? No, no, it's quite all right, William. It's quite all right. <clears throat> um, anyway, Billy, as I was telling you at lunch, this jockey spoke to me while I was over at the paddock. Mr. Nolan said I want to give you a tip. There's a filly down at the stable who has yet to run her first race. She's the fastest thing I've ever seen. Well, of course, I'm interested immediately having my own stable as I do. So I went to see this filly's owner. Told him I might be interested in buying her. Understand? What? Understand what? Oh, oh yes, the filly. Uh, yeah. He quoted a price that was out of this world. I told him he was crazy and offered him half what he asked. Understand? Hmm? What? Oh. Oh, yes, horses. Yes. Um, uh, uh, Professor Bat. I'm not finished. <laughs> Well, you know how it is in horse trading. Give a little, take a little, and eventually you may be able to make a deal. Understand? <laughs> Same as any other deal. Horses, real estate, television rights to football games. Give a little, take a little. Understand? <laughs> no. I say that when you're trying to make a deal, you give a little, take a little. Whether it's horses, television rights to football games, 39-week drama series, understand? Horses, television, 39-week drama. Oh, yes! <laughs> of course I understand. But what do you take me for? <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree. Good. Professor Barrett... Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't following the conversation. No, I was saying that I wish you'd do me a favor. Help me out of a predicament. Well, gladly, my boy, if I can. Well, as I told you, I'm in television now, and we're thinking of presenting a very swank 39-week series, World's Best Plays, one a week, you know? Well, we're looking for someone to be the nominal producer, someone with uh, prestige in the field of dramatic arts, someone to appear on each program and sort of introduce the play and tell the audience something about it. It's a very important and highly paid job, but... 
I can't think of anyone to fit the bill. Uh, would you mind well, suggesting... Well, over in England and uh, make way of the... No, I've just had the most marvelous inspiration. I wonder if it's the same one I had. Why, heavens to Betsy, I'm all at sea. <laughs> what do you mean? Why, Professor Barrett would be wonderful on such a program. By George, it never occurred to me. <laughs> I on television? What a capital idea. Now, why couldn't I have thought of it? Because you're stupid. <laughs> Television, uh, do you really think it's possible? Well, we mustn't get our hopes up, must we? TV has very, very strict requirements. Uh, let me hear your voice. Say, how now, brown cow? How now, brown cow? Perfect. <laughs> Why, you could knock me over with a feather. And you have such a distinguished appearance. Professor Barrett, I'd be very grateful if you accepted the job. I, I, um, Of course, it I... only pays 500 a week. But then it's merely a few hours' work. Please say you'll do it. As a favor to me. Well, but of course, I, well, I'd be delighted to. That is, uh, if you're quite sure, you see, I'm not really a performer. Well, how do you know? I never knew a good teacher yet that wasn't a bit of a ham at heart. What about my billing? <laughs> Billing, huh? Don't worry, you're a performer. <laughs> we'll discuss your billing later. Ah, <laughs> oh, Professor, I'm sure you'll be a great success. Dear me, I, I, I'm quite bewildered. Five hundred a week, I... I you please excuse me, all of you. I, I, I must get home and tell my wife all about this. I, I shall break it to her gently, of course. Well, well goodbye. Harry, Harry, you drive a hard bargain. You drive a hard bargain. <laughs> you old son of a gun. You old son of a gun. That echoes back again. Oh, it's wonderful, isn't it? Harry, that's a magnificent gesture you made. Gesture? Me? You out of your mind? He happened to be what I was looking for. That's the only reason I offered him the job. What I always say is, there's no room in business for sentiment. Right. In business, one must have a hard heart as well as a hard head. Beautifully put. Well, I still don't agree. Well, you're, you're just one of those people, Victoria, who go all melted buttery inside at the, at, at the prospect of hurting someone's feelings. You can't help it, but there it is. Yeah, I know. It, it's a weakness. I often wish I could be more like you in that respect. You know, and cleave to the truth, no matter what. Yeah, though, though the heavens fall. Yeah, exactly. Though the heavens fall. I, I lack the strength. Ta -ta, darling, I've... I've more than enough for both of us. Well, it turned out quite nicely. <laughs> Harry, you don't have to leave yet, do you? No, I can stay until you sign this football contract for television. Just happened to have it here in my left hand. And a fountain pen in my right hand. And we have a witness who wouldn't be so bad on television herself. <laughs> Call that an offer if you like, Mrs. Hall. Oh, thank you. I'm a home girl now. <laughs> thank you, my darling. Uh, although I'm sure you could meet any and all television requirements. But Harry has football instead. How many plunging lines does he need? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
again are Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. Good night, everybody. Good night. Halls of Ivy, starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. Harry Nolan was played by Elliot Lewis, and Professor Barrett was Norman Field. Tonight's script was written by Robert Sinclair, Walter Brown Newman, and Don Quinn, directed by Nat Wolf, and transcribed by the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Ken Carpenter speaking. January 1951, The Halls of Ivy. Comedy tonight from the big broadcast. I'm Murray Horwitz. With me is our co-producer, Jill Arold Bailey. We're part of the WAMU team that brings you the big broadcast every Sunday night. And you can be part of the team, too. Just go to WAMU.org or call 800-248-8850, 800-248-8850, and become a member or increase your support. It really is a team effort, as we always emphasize, especially this year when listener support was the only thing that stood between us and chaos. And I mean that pretty much literally. Jill, I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> WAMU.org or 800-248-8850. Murray, you exaggerate? I, I don't know if our listeners could believe that. Uh, okay, thank you. Please uh, tell us more. <laughs> Well, you know, I think our listeners know you now pretty well um, because this this time right now is going to mark five years of you taking over as host of the big broadcast wow. next week, next Sunday night, June 13th. We're going to celebrate that on air, your five year anniversary. And yours host. and yours and and mine as as producer. But um, it, it really is saying something that, Murray, you've been here at the helm of the show for five years uh, but the big broadcast has been here for many, many times that number. Yeah. And it's because of these members who have who have stepped up uh, during the, the past time of the big broadcast here on Sunday nights. And so you now can join that that group. You can keep the big broadcast here on Sunday nights. There's 17 stickers left of our bonus gift, the big broadcast Star Wars sticker. It's a five-inch holographic sticker, so you can snap that up, but it's right now that you have to give because it's only on offer tonight. The amount you give is up to you. Any amount makes a difference for WAMU. Any amount makes a difference for the big broadcast. So again, call 1-800-248-8850, 1-800-248-8850, or go online to wamu.org. Members who have gone online to make that gift are Leslie from Atlanta, Georgia, Mary Ann from Washington, D.C., Robert from Fairfax, Virginia, Judith from Baltimore, Maryland. Thank you all. And members who have just called in, thank you to Larry from Manassas, Nancy from Washington. 
Theodore from Middletown, Maryland, and Susan from Annandale, Virginia. Thank you all. Jill, you make a very good point. Uh, those people who called 800-248-8850 or went to WAMU.org and clicked on Donate, they understand that this is a 54-year-old institution. It's by far the longest-running local program in Washington Radio. It's one of the longest-running programs in the nation. And if this modest little thing that we do here every Sunday night is really a refuge for you, that Sunday night oasis, as we always say, I mean, we've never gotten more emails, letters, Facebook posts telling us that it is a refuge for people, then go now to WAMU.org, click on Donate, or call 800-248-8850. That's right. And you can join Melanie and Bill from Alexandria. They are faithful listeners of the big broadcast. They're big fans of Murray and especially (laughs) of Johnny Dollar and Radio Theater. Thank you to Melanie and Bill. This is your moment. If you can join Melanie and Bill Not every listener can give, but we are asking those who can to join us today. Call 1-800-248-8850 or go online to WAMU.org. Thank you, Jill. And above all, thank you. Thank you again for your support tonight, listeners, and throughout the years for the big broadcast. We really appreciate it. This is WAMU Washington, your listener-supported NPR news station from American University. In HD at 88.5 at WRAU 88.3 Ocean City and on your smart speaker and online at WAMU.org. We're going to close tonight with a salute to a great star who's probably best remembered nowadays for what was almost a postscript to her tremendous life in show business. At age 50, after a long career in the movies, radio, TV, and stages around the country, Alexis Smith made her Broadway debut as Phyllis in the James Goldman, Stephen Sondheim musical Follies. And what a debut it was. Ms. Smith won the Tony Award for Best Performance by a Leading Actress in a Musical, and it revived her career on both stage and screen. That debut was in 1971, 50 years ago. So that means that Ms. Smith would have turned 100 this year, the day after tomorrow, in fact, June 8th. And I kind of have to pause here and say that one of the things we celebrate here on the big broadcast is what Lenny Bruce called old showbiz. And it was great at uniting us, at letting us know we were all in this together. That's what we do here on the big broadcast every Sunday night. And if you are somebody who appreciates that kind of idea of unity, then please, you can still call 800-248-8850. 800-248-8850, or go to WAMU.org and click on Donate. As I mentioned, Alexis Smith's career included radio, and she performed several times on the Lux Radio Theater. We're going to hear her in the adaptation of a melodrama that, as a motion picture, starred Betty Davis. The movie, in turn, had been based on a hit Broadway show by the master playwright John Van Druten, the author of Bell, Book, and Candle, I Remember Mama, The Voice of the Turtle, and I Am a Camera, which was later turned into the great musical Cabaret. In the piece we're about to hear, 
old acquaintance. He makes great use of dramatic irony, and you'll hear comments about wartime travel restrictions and a reference to the Army induction notice letters that began, Greetings. And be sure to listen for a young Robert Bailey, who, as Bob Bailey, went on to star many years later in, you guessed it, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. He plays a character named Rudd Kendall in this, uh, in this, in this piece by John Van Druten. It's a production of Old Acquaintance. It comes from May 29th, 1944, the CBS Radio Network and the Lux Radio Theater. Lux presents Hollywood. The Lux Radio Theater brings you Alexis Smith, Miriam Hopkins, and Otto Kruger in Old Acquaintance. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. When opening night on Broadway reveals a new dramatic hit, that's only the first step in a familiar pattern. The next stage is spirited bidding among the Hollywood studios for the picture rights. The third step is one we try to take care of. Making the drama's path of glory lead right to the Lux Radio Theater. Tonight's play proves the point. John Van Bruten's drama, Old Acquaintance, had a long run on Broadway. Warner Brothers made the picture success... And this evening, Old Acquaintance holds the spotlight here with Miriam Hopkins, Alexis Smith, and Otto Kruger. We asked Mrs. Hopkins to cut short a New York vacation to play the same part with us she played on the screen. And Alexis Smith comes to us direct from her hit performance in the Warner Brothers picture, The Adventures of Mark Twain, which Jesse Lasky produced. Old Acquaintance turns the playwright's magnifying glass on the emotions of two women and picks out the amazing story that's concealed under the fame and fortune and happiness that appears on the surface. About this time every year, I turn judge for a while, an odd job for a producer, but it happens to tie in very well with producing plays that are backed by Lux Toilet Soap. The judging in this case is not in law or equity, but in beauty. Along toward graduation time, students of uh, schools and colleges sometimes ask me to take my life in my hands by selecting the most beautiful girl in the graduating class. I'd never heard of the decision leading to a campus war yet, but it might. Because with each group of photographs that come in, it's harder to say that one girl is the loveliest. Perhaps it's all the fault of Lux Toilet Soap. Because the popularity of Lux seems to be going up along with the national beauty average. But it's the curtain that's going up now. And here's the first act of Old Acquaintance. Starring Alexis Smith as Kit, Miriam Hopkins as Millie, and Otto Kruger as Preston. It was a big year, 1924. Calvin Coolidge was elected president. The Prince of Wales toured the United States. And the hit tune was, Yes, sir, that's my baby. It was also the year that a book by a pretty young writer named Kit Marlowe won every award that a really fine novel can receive. Hello? Hello? Oh, I thought we'd been cut off. Now, for heaven's sakes, Kit, don't miss the train. Remember, you're a celebrity. Well, of course you are. And every seat in town hall's been sold for your lecture. Millie, hey, Millie. Oh, Kit, it's going to be so wonderful seeing you. What train will she be on? 
Oh, wonderful. Oh, what train will you be on? 11-5? 11-5. All right, darling. Well, I can't help being excited. Yes. Yes, of course. Goodbye, darling. Oh, Kit, wait. I've something wonderful to tell you. I'm... Hello? Hello? She's hung up. Oh. Millie Drake is always excited on the long-distance telephone, but she's never had better reason to be. Kit Marlowe is her dearest friend, and Kit Marlowe is coming to Birchfield to visit her. Yes? Hello. Hello. Well, say, you must be... Mm-hmm. You're Preston? Yes, but... Well... Come in. Come right in. Oh, thanks. It seems there was something of a riot at the railroad station, and I've lost Millie. Oh, a riot, huh? A mild one. I was kidnapped by young America. College girls, I guess. It seems my book must have created something of a disturbance. You're darn right it is. Oh, you're back. Thanks. You know, they were determined to haul me off to school right then and there to defend my points of view or something. You didn't go, huh? No, I sliced through tackle, found a taxi, and here I am. Well, uh, how about a drink? Oh, no. Puts me to sleep. And I have a lecture to give. Oh, that's right. Say, oh, I wonder where Millie is. I don't suppose she had a chance to uh, tell you the news. Uh... News? Yeah, we've uh, got a little something on the way. No. A baby? Oh, why not? Why not? Why, ever since I've known Millie, the good things of life seem to make their way carefully to her. Does that include me? You look all right. You do, too. Oh, thank you, Preston. Oh, look. Isn't that Millie now driving up? Yeah. Oh, oh, Kit. Uh, She's going to be pretty sore if she wasn't here to welcome you. Uh, Maybe you ought to make a new entrance. Oh, what an idea. No, no, really. No, it'll make her laugh. Just just slip out there, and and when she comes in, you just pop in again, huh? Well, that's not too complicated, I suppose. Go on, go on. Hurry. Hello, Millie. Where's your guest? I don't know, and I don't care. I've never been so shamed in my life. Huh? Oh, leave me alone. Why, you don't even treat a stranger like that, let alone your best friend getting mixed up with those silly college girls while I stand there making a fool of myself. Oh, so you saw her. Oh, no hat, no makeup, a hair all over the place. I'm sure if she were a man, she'd have needed a shave. Oh, oh, now, honey, the the doctor said you shouldn't excite yourself. Oh, I know. But after I'd gone to all this trouble... What's that? What's what? Uh Uh-oh. She's here. That's her bag. She's here. Oh, oh now look. No, Millie. Come on, where's your sense of humor? It's just, oh, never a dull moment. Huh? Oh, Kit. Oh, come on now, Millie. Well, listen, it's just that we wanted to surprise you. Listen, Millie, now here's Kit. Aren't you going to welcome her? Same old Millie. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. What did she mean I looked as if I needed a shave? Oh, <laughs> don't let it worry you. I- I'm very partial to girls that don't shave. <laughs> Preston, we just can't leave her up there bathed in tears. Shall I go up? Oh, I'd sure appreciate it, Kit. Of course. All right, now I'll, I'll tell Hilda that uh, we'll be eating in a few minutes. I'll bet you dying. Millie. <laughs> Millie. <laughs> Millie, remember you're a hostess and you have a guest. Oh, have a heart, Millie. It was only a joke. Oh, well, I suppose I can go to a hotel. Perhaps you should. You certainly don't act as though you wanted to see me. Millie, what could I do? I couldn't get away from those Amazons as easy as that. Oh, uh, I liked your husband, Millie. You were quite right. He is easy on the eyes. He's all right, I suppose. And you have a lovely home. And it was awfully nice of you to go to so much trouble for my visit. Millie, and it's so wonderful you're going to have a baby. (gasps) Oh, I couldn't even tell you that myself. Well, what does it matter as long as it's true? And I know. It matters to me. But you have so much to be happy for. 
You should be very thankful. Oh, naturally, I'm happy. And, uh, I'm not mm-hmm. sure I don't envy you a little. Oh, Kit. Kit. I'm... Really, I'm glad you're here. I've behaved just awfully, haven't I? I understand, darling. Oh, Kit. And I've arranged a little party for you tonight. <laughs> you gave me a brief warning on the to- telephone. After the lecture. Oh, not too many. Just the people I thought you'd like to see again. Thank you, Millie. You know, you're wonderful. <laughs> you like it. Hey, Millie, Charlie's serenading a lamppost. I better drive him home. Oh, dear. Well, hurry back, Chris. Good night, everybody. Get I'm dead. Oh, my. Well, we'd better not sit down. There's something of a mess to be cleared up. Oh, Hilda can handle it, and Preston will be home in a few minutes to help. Come on, let's go to bed. Let's. Oh, it was a beautiful party, Millie. Thank you. Don't think I didn't love every minute of it. It was my friend who stood them on their ears at town hall. Kit, you shocked them. You should hear me sometime when I really bear down. They loved you. Well, I'm sure everyone here had a good time. They certainly ate enough, didn't they? <laughs> be sure to say goodnight to Preston for me. Oh, he'll be right back. It must be nice having a nice man coming right back. Yes, a husband can be a great comfort at times. Kit, I'm dying to talk to you. Let's flop on the bed. Oh. What are you going to do about that, Kit? About a husband? Well, right now I'm concentrating on another book. But about men, I mean. Is there anyone? I haven't noticed anyone. You're not engaged or anything? What do you mean, or anything? But you're not? No. Oh. <laughs> I'm rather surprised. So am I. You know, Kit, I had a real pang of envy when I read about all your success. But then I got to thinking that being just a housewife has its compensation. I'm sure it has. Of course, there are people who can have both a career and a life. Millie, you're holding out on me. Now, what have you been up to? Yes, there is something. Oh, Kit, promise me you won't breathe a word, not even to Preston. And, Kit, please don't laugh. I won't. When your book came out, well, something happened. Oh, it wasn't jealousy. I'm above jealousy. You know that. But I said to myself, here's Kit writing a sad, almost sordid analysis of two people's lives and getting marvelous write-ups and becoming a celebrity overnight. Well, not quite overnight, but I... And here I am, little Millie Drake, just bubbling over with a message of quite another sort. You didn't like my book? Oh, I did. But I don't think it's what people really want. Well, you're probably perfectly right, Millie, because in spite of the reviews, it's not selling. Oh, isn't it really? No. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. But you see, that's what I mean. Millie, what are you trying to tell me? That you've written a book? Well, why not? Kit, you aren't the only one who can write a book. Well, Millie, darling, I know, but... Wait. Your eyes. Other than mine, will be the first to look down upon my first novel. Why, Millie! It's about a boy named Lionel and a wonderful girl, Deirdre. I think it's a beautiful name, don't you? Okay. Will you read it? And if you like it, will you take it to your publishers? Of course I'll read it. Honest? And I've another one all dreamed out already. It's about a girl named Laverne. Oh, Kit. If there's anything in beauty, then the beauty-loving world has got to know my book. 
It simply laughs and cries with people. Well, I hope people laugh and cry with it, Millie. Oh, I'm sure they will. I don't mean to seem egotistical, but I have read a good deal, Kit, and I think I know what appeals to most people. How'd you think it all up? It just came to me. Kit, I really believe I was born to it. Once I stopped, the words just seemed to pour out of me without my knowing it, like I was in a trance or something. Oh, Millie, you're marvelous. It took me two years to write one book. Well, it could be that I'm more prolific. <laughs> could be. Uh, Millie, after you've written all these books, what are you going to do with the money? Do you think they'll make money? Do you? Well, your kind of books make a fortune. That tender young love stuff. Oh, I know exactly what I do. I'll buy the old Crimpton house, and then I'll have a secretary and two cars. And when my baby comes, I'll have an English nanny for it, and later a French governess. That is, if it's a girl. Oh, you've got everything planned out, haven't you, Millie? <laughs> well, of course, it's only a dream. But it's a lovely dream. <gasps> Success is thrilling, isn't it, Kit? I guess so, Millie. But it's funny how soon you get used to it. I always want more and more. Don't you want to go on and on to bigger things? Oh, I don't know about bigger things. Other things, perhaps. Such as? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I'd like to write a play. A play? Oh, an opening night must be thrilling. All the people calling, Arthur, Arthur. But you know, Kit, I think I'll just stick to my book. <laughs> well, what's so funny? Millie, you're so wonderful. <laughs> oh, Kit, it's like old times, isn't it? Oh, it eat his mama saying, Now, don't you two girls talk all night long. Millie, <laughs> <laughs> remember whenever we were in the dumps, your mother used to say, Don't worry, girls. There's always what's left of the icing. Yes. I remember. Oh, here's Preston. Hey, I'm back. Where are you? Up here. Oh, Kit, won't it be marvelous? Two friends, both writers, both such successes. <laughs> oh, Millie. My book. I've got it hidden in my room. I'll get it. Can I come in? Come on. Oh, uh, well, everything all right? Oh, fine, thanks. I, uh, brought up some ice water this afternoon. It's over there. Oh, I wish you wouldn't bother about me, Preston. Uh, oh, where's Millie? I guess she went to her room. Oh, well, good night. Good night. Oh, uh, uh, thanks about this morning. Oh, that was nothing. Well, uh, uh, fun having you here, Kit. It's fun being here. Yeah. Well... Uh, breakfast at ten. Fine. Good night. Good night. Oh, uh, I'll be up in a little while, Millie. What are you going to do? Oh, just sort of clean up a little. Here it is. Oh, it's good and long, isn't it? Oh, I could have gone on and on for twice that length. I'll start it now, darling, tonight. Oh, thank you, kid. Good night. Then I'll leave you to Deirdre and Lionel. Married in June by Mildred Watson Drake. <laughs> Owens, Mr. DeMille presents Miriam Hopkins, Alexis Smith, and Otto Kruger in Act Two of Old Acquaintance. And now, here's the girls' locker room in the big war plant. The day shift is going off. Whoa, where's the fire? Oh, hello, Dot. I am in a hurry. Just 20 minutes to change myself from Rosie the Riveter to my soldier's dream girl. Jim's home on leave, you know. And later... Well, seeing is believing. You do look like a dream girl. Just as though you stepped out of a very nice sandbox. And your skin, it looks wonderful. What have you done to it? Oh, that's easy, Dot. I always bring along a cake of Lux toilet soap. I just gave myself a Lux beauty facial. 
only takes a minute, and it does the trick every time. It's true. Smart girls everywhere find this easy Lux Soap Facial gives skin new freshness so quickly. Here's all you do. You cover your face with lots and lots of the creamy Lux Soap lather, work in gently but thoroughly, then rinse with warm water and splash on cold. Pat dry with a soft towel. Now your skin feels soft and smooth, looks so fresh. In recent tests of these Lux Toilet Soap Facials, actually three out of four complexions improved in a short time. Famous screen stars depend on this care. Use it every day. For a fresher, lovelier complexion, why don't you try it? Ask your dealer for this gentle white soap tomorrow. If he's temporarily out of stock, he's sure to have more soon. Remember, Hollywood's beauty soap is worth waiting for. Now, Mr. DeMille returns to the microphone. Act two of Old Acquaintance. Starring Alexis Smith as Kit, Miriam Hopkins as Millie, and Otto Kruger as Preston. Eight years later, eight years that have witnessed the uninterrupted output of that incredible literary assembly line, Mildred Watson Drake. In her capacity for mass production and making money, Millie has far outdistanced Kit Marlowe. But the friendship of the two so totally different authors has endured and flourished. Now, in a lavish New York apartment, a newspaper reporter is waiting to interview Millie. I'm sure Mrs. Drake will be back any minute. She's been out shopping. Oh, I'll wait. But you were about to say something about your wife's first book. Oh, only that it was published the same day as our little girl was born. And that was how long ago, Mr. Drake? Well, uh, dear, dear, it'll be eight next month. Well, it must have been eight years ago. There's been one every year since. Huh? Yeah. All of the books, Miss Carter, not children. There's only only one child. Oh. Her books have all been such great successes. And uh, you sort of manage her affairs, I suppose? No, no, I work, too. Sort of an architect and engineer. Uh, if you don't mind, though, no mention of me. Mr. Drake, wasn't that Kit Marlowe who came in a few minutes ago with your daughter? Yes. You see, we're really in town in the opening of her play tonight. We don't use this apartment very often, but uh, nothing could keep us away from Kit's play. She's one of the family. She's... Oh, she's swell. Oh, oh that reminds me. Uh, Kit. Hey, Kit. Yes? Uh, there's a phone call for you. Hello. Uh, the, yeah, the theater called about a half hour ago. Oh, thanks. I'd better see what they want. Lots of luck with your play, Miss Marlowe. Oh, excuse me. Uh, Miss Carter of the News Post. Thank you, Miss Carter. Well, Press, I don't suppose you caught more than a glimpse of your daughter's new outfit as we came in. No, but from what I saw, wow. Oh, Kit, you shouldn't have done it. Why not? I enjoyed it. You see, Miss Carter, this sort of thing has been going on between Miss Marlowe and Deirdre for years. Well, Deirdre is really partly mine anyway. I was at the hospital when she was born. As a matter of fact, she gave me her first smile. Her mother said it was gas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that must be Mrs. Drake now, Miss Carter. I'll tell her you're here. Where's Millie Press? Oh, she's still talking to that Carter girl. Took her into the study. Uh, did you call the theater? Uh-huh. Yeah? What's the matter? Not worried about the player? Of course I am. Well, a half a drink, it helps. You've had a head start, haven't you? A considerable one. Uh, Kit, will you tell me something? Yes, what? Why are you and Millie such friends? Press, what a thing to ask. Oh, I mean it. It can't be just because you were girls together. Well, that counts for more than you think. Besides, I owe Millie a great deal. On my very first day at school, she took me by the hand and brought me home and said to her mother very solemnly, Mama, this is Catherine Marlowe, who's going to be my very best friend. And then when my aunt died, her home was the only really home I ever had. 
Millie's really all right, Press. Kit, I don't know what I'd have done if you hadn't been around all these years. Just to look at you. Oh, Pooh. I don't have to tell you, do I? I love you, Kit. Press, I... I beg you never to say that again. Oh, Preston, I think Miss Carter made like a highball. We've just finished. I'd love one, but I have to get downtown. Thank you so much, Mrs. Drake. And, Miss Marlowe, I wish I could do a story on you sometime. She always says she hates publicity. Sometime, perhaps, Miss Carter. Tell me, how is your next book coming? Well, I write and rewrite, and I still don't like it. Well, at least when you do turn one out, it's a gem. None of this grinding them out like sausage. Uh, in moments like this, I believe Emily Post advises cutting the throat. There's a knife on the table. Oh, Miss Carter, I'm sure you'll excuse me. We have a million things to do. Thanks. Well, let me help you to the door. I'm sure the sooner you find it, the happier you'll be. Well, thank heavens I don't have to write for literary snobs like her. What difference does it make what she says? I'm proud of my writing. And your books sell? Mine don't. They could. What do you suggest? Publicity. When I was shopping this afternoon, I passed by the theater. Posters all over the place. And your name in little tiny letters. It's just as well. I'm not so sure the play's any good. Now, where would I be with an attitude like that? Where I am, probably. You must remember, Millie, you've never not been sure about anything. I find it far wiser than not knowing or caring what's going to happen next. At our age, Kit, we shouldn't be waving in the breeze like a piece of limp rag. Rather the neatest trick of the week, Millie. Well, you know what I mean. When I want something, I work for it. And when I've got it, I hold on to it like a bulldog. There are some things which can be too tightly held, especially people. People. Outside of Preston, indeed. No one means anything to me. Me too. Oh. <laughs> you go without saying, but you do make me mad. You know, Kit, someday you might be a very lonely old lady. Something I'll never be. I took care of that. You married Preston, you had Deirdre, and you put money in the bank. Well, what bad insurance is there? Millie, why aren't you more considerate of Preston? What on earth do you mean? Certainly you can see how miserable he is. Miserable? Why, haven't I been a good wife to him? I've given him everything. He's as much a definite part in my life as Deirdre is. How can you say he's miserable? Millie, do you know anything at all about men? Do you? Well, I... I know there are a lot of little things that a man expects from a woman that I think in your success you may have forgotten all about. What little things? Oh, little things like humor and charm and tenderness. Oh. Well, should I be charming and humorous and tender when a man consumes nearly a bottle of whiskey in an afternoon? People drink for escape, Millie. Look at this. If you insist upon drinking, my love, I'd better bring you a fresh bottle. Oh, there's enough left for a drink if you'd like it, Press. You really think I should? Yes. And I bought you two dinner jacket ties, Preston. The new kind with a single end. Very nice of you, Millie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, tell me. What's the joke? It's Kit. Our kid is in a very rambunctious mood today. I think I must write a play sometimes and see if I can feel rambunctious. I'm sure you will, Millie. Well, I really have to write. Oh, wait a moment. I've something for you, too. I left it in the hall. For my very best friend to commemorate the first night of her first play. Well, the sun seems to be shining again. Yes. I wonder what caused that. Now, this is for my husband, and this is for Kit. I think when you open it, darling, you'll find it quite charming. Millie! Why, Millie, you can't give me things like this. Why not? I think it's a lovely pin. <laughs> I don't know what to say. And with love from me to me, I bought these clips. Oh, and very nice, too. Yeah, they're <laughs> handsome, Millie. 
I wish I could afford to have given them to you. You... You resent my having them? I don't resent your having anything. Then why do you sneer? Oh, now be good, Millie, and, and let me see how they look on you. Oh, anyone would think I was... Well, I'll do without them. I'll do without everything. I'll give up writing. We'll go back and take it in Birchfield the way we used to. Is that what you want? No, Millie, just stay as you are. You can buy me a nice uniform, and on the collar you can put MWD, property of Mildred Watson Drake in diamonds. You're drunk. I wish I were. When you want to apologize, I'll be in my room. Press. What? I'm really partly to blame. Before you came in, I, I gave Millie a sort of bawling out. Now go in and tell her you're sorry. And no more of that uniform business. It wasn't kind. Oh, uh, I'll leave your tickets at the box office. Goodbye, Press. See you later. I'm sorry for what I said, Millie. Here are your clips. I found them on the floor. Just drop them in the wastebasket. You didn't pay for them. All right. There. Will you stop playing the fool, Preston, and get dressed for the theater? I'm sorry for one thing. I hate leaving Dee Dee. What did you say? I said I hate leaving my daughter. I'm going away, Millie, just as far away from you as I can get. You don't know what you're talking about. Why, you can't just walk out Oh, and... stop it, please. You're drunk. You, uh, you no don't know what you're doing. Let's say as you wouldn't when, when your book Why? so ended the chapter in their lives. But, Preston... Oh, goodbye, Millie, and good luck. Oh. Preston. <laughs> Hello, Press. Oh, Kit, thanks for coming. So, as soon as my back's turned, you just run away to the nearest hotel. Not the nearest. One's a little cheaper. How a grown man can hide away just for the fun of torturing his wife is beyond me. I'm sorry, Kit, but it's over. Oh, don't be ridiculous. Well, how'd the play go? It was all right, I guess. I'll bet it was great. You certainly chose a peach of a time to run out on Millie. I didn't mean to involve you, Kit. There's a party going on at my house. I'm a hostess. I'd like to go back, Press. I'd like you to take me back. I'm leaving town. I wanted to see you first. Press, you simply mustn't do this. We you two couldn't have lived together for nine years if there hadn't been ties, strong ties between you. She was once a sweet, pretty little girl, and then she became a success. Kit, you must listen to me now, just for a minute. You mean everything to me. I'm in love with you. I'm deeply in love. I want you to look at me and tell me that you don't feel as I do. I'm never going back to Millie, so don't let that make any difference in what you say. But tell me. Tell me the truth. Press, I... I haven't let myself even think about it. Why not? Well, because there are things you just don't do. But this is our one chance for a happy life. The only chance. There's no such thing as an only chance. Life goes on, Press. Millie would stand between us always, spoiling any hope of happiness that we might find. There are things you just don't do if you want to live decently with yourself afterwards. Well, you're trying to tell me that your friendship for Millie would mean more than your love for me. All I know is that it's something I just couldn't do, whether it's Millie or any other woman who was a friend of mine. I guess it wasn't meant to be, Press. Uh, I'm going to ask Millie to come here. Talk to her, please. Don't just throw away nine years without at least talking to her. I'd do anything for you, Kit. Anything but that. For my sake. Please see her. I'm sorry, Kit. That's one thing I won't do. Well, I guess it's goodbye, then. I guess it is. May I kiss you goodbye? No, Press. 
about you. Press? Come here. Goodbye. Listen, if you will, kiss. Keep an eye on Deirdre for me. She's such a little girl. And I'd... I'd kind of like her to grow up like you. Thank you, Press. Pause now for station identification. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. There will be a curtain call chat with our stars after the play. But now the third act of Old Acquaintance, starring Miriam Hopkins, Alexis Smith, and Otto Kruger. <laughs> Nearly ten years have passed since Preston Drake slipped out of the lives of Kip Marlowe and Millie. They've been kind years to both women. Each has her share of pain. Each has her share of Deirdre, Millie's daughter. And now, just as suddenly as he left, Preston Drake has returned to New York. His first move was to telephone Kit to meet him in the cocktail lounge of his hotel. And then after Mexico, I spent three years in Brazil, and since the first of the year, I've been in Washington. I can't get over it, Pat. It's so good to see you. Good to see you, too, Kit. Another cocktail? No, thanks. They don't still put you to sleep, do they? Oh, what a memory. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about dear Dick. How she turned out? Well, I I think you'll be proud of her. And Millie? How's Millie wearing? Well, when Millie was delivered, she was guaranteed for 80 years. She writes, eats, sleeps, all three very heartily. Why don't you call her up, Preston? She'd love to hear from you. All right, I will. Kit, uh, you remember the last time I saw you? You said that uh, life goes on? Yes, I remember. Well, you're right. I found someone, Kit. I'm getting married in the spring. Oh, I'm so happy for you, Preston. Now, hold on to your chair. Huh? I found someone, too. Kit. So help me, Preston. I'm embarrassed. Oh, I'm Paul, I think it's wonderful. Well, so do I, but it seems so unreal. And, of course, there's a catch to it. Oh. Uh, a matter of years. Ten years, to be exact. Older? Younger. You might know there'd be something. Leave it to me. But he's terribly sweet and persistent. Oh, he better be. Kit, I've got a great idea. What? Do they know each other? I mean, uh, dear dear, you both? Oh, very well. Why not call him up and... and... Uh, his name is Rod Preston. Rod Kendall. All right, call Rod up and have him pick up Deirdre. And we could all have dinner or something. Oh, of course, Preston. You must be dying to see Deirdre. Oh, I am. And Rod. Well, now, let's see. Uh, Rod's probably still at his office, and Dee Dee... Oh, she's probably got a date with that Lucian Grant person, but that shouldn't be too difficult. But Lucian Grant? You know him? No, but I read the paper. Oh, don't worry, Press. It's nothing serious. Now, if you can get a telephone... Oh, uh, but wait up. Uh, bring me a phone, please. Am 
And believe me, Rudd, if this is one of your tricks, I'll never forgive you. Will you pipe down, Dee Dee? And the nerve, coming into the club and talking to Lucian like that in front of all those people. Look, Dee Dee, you and Lucian don't mean a thing to me. I took you away because Kit wants you. Kit wants me? What for? Well, I told you it's a surprise. I don't believe you. Okay, don't. I don't see why Kit should be so concerned about me. Well, neither do I. Oh, look, Dee Dee, don't you know Lucian Grant's no good for you? Here we go again. Well, Kit doesn't like him either, and you ought to respect her judgment. Who says I don't? I do. Well, if you won't drive him back, at least let me stop and phone him. You can phone later. I'm taking no chances, Dee Dee. I said I'd deliver you, and that's just what I'm going to do. Well, there they are. Now behave yourself. Who's that man with Kit? Shh, you'll find out. Hello, Kit. Oh, here you are. Hello, Kit. Hello, Dee Dee. Dee Dee. Uh, Dee Dee, may I introduce you to your father? My father? My father. Come here, darling. And this is Rudd Kendall, Preston Drake. How do you do? Now, Rudd, let's you and I have a dance. They have a lot of, a lot of things to say to each other. Thank you, kid. <sighs> Sit down, Dee Dee. <laughs> Quite a blow, isn't it? Oh, just let me look at you, darling. I can't complain about your dancing, but you know you're not concentrating. Oh, I'm sorry, Rudd. I was miles away. I was sort of hoping you were thinking about my proposal. What proposal? What proposal? I'm the guy that wants to marry you. Oh, Rudd, you're charming. Well, this afternoon I was sweet. Now I'm charming. They both may know, huh? Rudd, I... Well, it's just that so much has happened. So suddenly. Suddenly? Oh. Dee Dee's old man, huh? I see. <laughs> Dee Dee's old man... No, you don't see. Kit, promise me just one thing. I'll surely try, Russ. Later on, let me take you home. Alone. I have to talk to you. Please, Russ. Please do. And the look on Dee Dee's face when she saw him. Oh, it's good to see people happy, Rudd. It'd be so easy to see me happy, Kit. Sit down. Oh, uh, get you a drink? No, you sit down. Kit. Kit, darling, I I'm leaving in five days. You're what? I've got a new job. I've been greeted by the president. Rudd. Kit, marry me, will you? Tomorrow. Look, we've been in the war only a few months. There's no telling how long it's going to last. And, well, if I'm going to keep my mind on my work, you've got to say yes. Well, let me get my breath. Only don't start analyzing again, please. Rudd, I'm not any younger than I was when you asked me yesterday. Oh, Kit, please. Let's not go into all of that again. But that's the important part of it. Rudd, listen. You're leaving in five days. You're going to war. But when it's over, let's hope there'll be a wonderful world waiting for young men like you to take hold of and make happy lives for yourselves and everyone else. And that just doesn't make sense with a woman that's ten years older than you are. Think what, would it, what it would be like ten years from now. No matter what you say, kid, I want to marry you. Rudd, you make it so difficult for me. Well, you make it so difficult for yourself. Then give me a few days to think it over by myself. Without your distracting presence. Oh, so I'm distracting, huh? Well, at least that's something. Darling, don't look like that. I promise to give you my answer before you leave. All right, kid. That's the way you want it. Rudd, I've never been more flattered or so grateful in my life. Not so long ago, you said you loved me. If I didn't, Rudd, there'd be no need to think at all. Oh, what's the matter, Dee Dee? Don't you like the restaurant? Oh, of course, but when I called you up, it wasn't to wangle you into inviting me to lunch. Oh, what else? Well, I thought I made it pretty clear on the phone. 
I was rather nasty the other night when you swept me away from Lucian, and I wanted to apologize. Come on, Dee Dee. What's the matter? Oh, I don't know. Don't mind me. I'm all mixed up. Yeah, you are a little nuts. Thanks. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, I've been a little worked up about something, and, well, I, I shouldn't have taken it out on you. Oh, it doesn't matter. I just wish I were 30 like you. Then I wouldn't have any problems. Oh, that's what you think. You don't mean it's going to go on being as bad as this. Well, I don't know how bad this is. But I do know you're not in love with Lucian Grant. No. It doesn't feel the way I thought being in love would feel. Then wait until it does. Why are you telling me this? Well, I, I don't want to see you get hurt. Funny. Quite suddenly I can talk to you, Rudd. You've changed. Maybe you had something to do with that. <laughs> Thank you. But you just said I was nuts. Well, there are certain things you can't be immediately articulate about. No, there aren't. Say it. All right, I will. Dee, you're lovely. Now I'm scared. What's going on in that head of yours? <laughs> well, I, I'm contemplating making love to you. And I, I don't quite know how to begin. Come in. Oh, it's you. Who did you think it was going to be? Well, to tell you the truth, Kit, I'm expecting Preston. He phoned this morning. Oh, that's wonderful. Kit, why should Preston want to see me after all these years? Well, I don't really know, Millie. Perhaps he'd like to talk to you about Deirdre. Kit, do you think I should take him back? What? I said, do you think I should take him back? Oh, Millie, surely Preston told you he's engaged. Oh, yes, but that doesn't mean anything. He's probably just lonely like I am. After all, we were together for so long. It's a great satisfaction to know that in the end, a man does turn back to his wife. Millie, I wouldn't count on it if I were you. But how could you understand? I knew Preston. Oh, kid, I want something more out of life than just books and a discontented daughter. We're not getting any younger, you know. Yes, Millie, I'm quite aware of that. Millie, what would you say if I told you I thought I might be going to get married? Who to? That young Kendall? Yes. What would he be like as a husband? Devoted and enchanting while it lasted. Oh. He's too young for me? Yes. I'd be crazy to marry him. Yes, I think you would. So do I. But I'm going to all the same. <laughs> well, I just wanted you to know, darling. Goodbye, Millie. Stop on your way back. I may have some very interesting news. Millie, you look very pretty today. Same to you, dear. Isn't it marvelous what it does for one? <laughs> Another scotch and soda, Preston? No, thanks. Two's my limit these days. Well, Millie, I suppose you're wondering why I've come to see you. I think I can guess. I know a great deal about men, Preston. Well, it's just that now that I'm getting married, Millie, I thought perhaps you might be willing to share Dee Dee with me. Oh. That's what you wanted to see me about? Yeah. I know my fiancée's a bit young to be a stepmother, but, I mean, that's no reason why she and Dee Dee shouldn't be good friends. Oh, no. No. Preston, um, how long have you known this, uh, girl? Oh, a year or so far. Well, naturally, I'm concerned about you. We were together for so long, and then ten years, not even a letter. Oh, no, I had to do it that way, Millie. I had to put you all out of my mind. Dee Dee, you, and Kit, too. Kit? Yes. Well, so long ago, I don't see why you shouldn't know about it. 
I was in love with Kit. In love with her? Yeah. Did you ever tell her that you loved her? Many times. While you were married to me? Yes. Oh. And all the time, pretending she was my best friend. She was, and she still is. A better friend than you'll ever realize. I'd be married to Kit now if it hadn't been for you. She'd have married you. Yes, but she said that you you just can't do a thing like that to your best friend. Oh, I don't believe it. You're just making it up. What happened? Nothing happened. Oh, let's not talk about it, Millie. It's all over and done with. We certainly will talk about it. I demand to know. All right. She kissed me goodbye and sent me away. Oh. I'm sorry you're disappointed, Millie. the most wonderful. Oh, Mother, what's happened? The other day you asked me how I happened to let anything as nice as your father get away from me. Yes? Well, I'll tell you why. He was taken away from me, filched. Filched? And who by? By your sainted kit. Mother, have you gone mad? All these years I've asked myself what I've done to drive him away. I've searched my conduct. And all the while lurking in the shadows was that Judas who calls herself my friend. Mother, this isn't one of your books. You're talking about father and kids. Oh, I could scream. But I could wish her no worse fate than that for which she is now headed. What does that mean? Oh, she's embarking on a little cradle snatch. That silly young boy she's been carrying on with. A bride at 42. Mother, you can't mean Rod. Who else? She was here just a few minutes ago, dribbling. You're sure of this? You're, you're telling me the truth? It's time you knew what was going on around you. Why, for months she's been carrying on with him. It's time you came out of your illusions about Kit. It's time I came out of a lot of illusions. Why? Why, Deirdre, where are you going? Out. I don't know where exactly. Oh, hello, Dee Dee. I was just about to knock. I'm sorry, I have to rush. Congratulations. What about? You and Rudd. Heaps of love. Beating. I have a date with Lucian and I'm late. Bye. Come in, Kit. What's the matter with her? I'm sure I don't know. Millie, what have you been telling Deirdre? Why, nothing at all, only that you and Rudd were going to get married. Why? Why did you tell her that? I haven't even told Rudd yet. But that couldn't have upset her. Millie, what was it? You've set yourself up as a paragon of virtue to that girl. I'm her mother and it's my duty to open her eyes. So that's what you told her. Why, Millie, why? You... My so-called best friend and Preston, my husband. Surely you remember that. I do distinctly. Then don't pretend you've forgotten me, taking him away from me, shattering my life. Millie, you really don't believe that, and I know you don't. How oh, could I have been so blind? You coveted everything I've ever had, always. All right, Millie. I'm going to have to tell you something I hoped I'd never have to tell you. You don't care at all about having lost Preston. You care only because of me. You're jealous of me. You've always been. Of my career, the kind of life I lead, even jealous of Deirdre's affection for me. You've done some pretty bad things in your life, Millie. But telling her what you must have about Rudd and me is the worst yet. Even if you didn't care about hurting me, you might have thought what it would mean to Dee Dee to have her faith in me shaken. I'd better get out of here before I do something I'm sorry for. Yes, go. Go. And since you've taken everything else I've ever cared for in my life, you might as well take Deirdre, too, since she's so fond of you. And don't think I couldn't have many times. All right, leave me alone, all of you. But you can't take my work away from me. That, at least, is inviolate. Well, 
Why don't you go? There's just one thing I must do. That. <gasps> Harriet? My goodness, Miss Marlowe, where have you been? I've been walking for blocks. Any calls? Mr. Kendall says he'll be here at 8 o'clock. Good. Harriet, a little while ago I did something I've wanted to do for years. And I feel perfectly marvelous. Well, that's fine. Harriet, would you say I was a woman who knew her own mind? Yes, indeedy. Well, I've, I've made up my mind to marry Mr. Kendall. Oh, that's fine, Miss Marlowe. That's just fine. Yes, I think it's just fine, too. I'm going to dress, Harriet. Now, put some champagne on ice and wear your black uniform. It's an occasion. Well, well, you and that nice Mr. Kendall. Kit, you look just beautiful. That's what I was hoping to hear. That champagne in the ice bucket, Rudd. Oh, better and better. Kit, really, I've never seen you look so lovely. It seems ages since I've seen you. And yet it's been only a few days. Well, Kit, here's to you. Here's to you, Rudd. Darling, I must have seemed very abrupt with you the other night. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, no. You were being perfectly honest, Kit. You were being perfectly right. You mean about us? Mm Mm-hmm. I suppose a woman's intuition is better than a man's, after all. Then you mean that you... you agree with me now? Is that it? Yes, yes, I do. Why, I must admit I felt pretty awful about it then, but now I'm sure you're right. Oh, but Rudd, I... (laughs) It's funny, isn't it, how things sort of work themselves out? Rudd, what are you trying to tell me? Uh, Well, uh, something's happened, Kit, which can't be any more of a surprise to you than it was to me. (laughs) Darling, nothing could surprise me today. What is it? Uh, Well, I've fallen in love with Deirdre. Deirdre? Yes, can you believe it? Why, yes. Yes, of course I can believe it. We happened to have lunch the other day, and it suddenly seemed to hit us like... Kit, this couldn't mean anything to you, could it? Oh, right, of course not. I'm delighted for you both. Oh, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that. I do feel, well, rather funny about telling you this. Oh, but you mustn't. If I'm acting peculiarly, it's only because it's been such a shock. Right, it's just that... Just what I meant the other night. When I said you should marry some nice young girl and settle down. Oh, thanks, Kit. Have you told her that you love her? Mm-hmm. I wanted to marry me. Well, what about tonight? Uh, hadn't you planned to see her tonight? Well, her, her father's giving a party at his hotel. As a matter of fact, I, I'm supposed to meet her there. Oh, well, then I should think you'd better be going. She'll be wondering where you are. Oh, if you don't mind, Kit, I guess I should. Oh, Kit. Goodbye, darling. Just to have known you. I'll always be thankful. It's been an enchanted patch we've had, Rudd. Like a spell of fine weather. Goodbye, Kit. Goodbye, darling. Harriet. Yes, ma'am? Call a cab immediately. All right. And call the Park Avenue Hotel, Mr. Preston Drake. Tell Mr. Drake that under no circumstances is he to let Mr. Kendall leave there until Miss Deirdre arrives. Do you understand, Harriet? Yes, ma'am. Well, where's Mr. Kendall? Harriet, 
You're looking at the biggest fool that ever lived. Oh, Miss Marlowe, don't. Harriet, in the phone book, please look up Mr. Lucian Grant's address. Mr. Lucian Grant? Yes. And if Mr. Drake should ask where Dee Dee is, tell him, tell him she's with me. Tell him not to worry. Dee Dee will be at the hotel in a little while. Kid, I'm not a child. And if I want to go to Lucian Grant's apartment, nobody's going to stop me. Nor will I always be able to guess that you're there and haul you out. You're a fine one to be interfering with my life. Deirdre, you went to Lucian's apartment because of what you heard about Rudd and me, didn't you? Well, I... Didn't you? Well, yes. I thought so. And you're in love with Rudd, aren't you? That has nothing to do with it. I don't see why you don't marry him. Because he doesn't want to marry me. And no nice woman wants to marry a man who doesn't want to marry her. But Rudd's in love with you, isn't he? He was, Dee Dee. He isn't anymore. You mean he just suddenly stopped? Oh, you can't say when you stop loving somebody. All you know is that you have stopped. But you haven't stopped loving him, have you? To be quite honest, no. Oh, but I shan't go on loving him forever. And if it hadn't been you, darling, it might have been someone else. And I'm happy it was you. You're so right for each other. Kid, tell me something. Was my father ever in love with you? Yes, he was. Once. Oh, Kit, I can't tell you. You're just about the most wonderful person I know. Oh, nonsense. I'm not at all. Uh, I'm dropping you off at the hotel, Dee Dee. Red's there waiting for you. You're not coming up? I think not. I'm very, very tired of youth and love and self-sacrifice. Oh, now, come on. Fix your face. You look awful. That you, Miss Marlowe? Yes. Any calls, Harriet? Uh, no, ma'am, but Mrs. Drake... It's all right, Harriet. Millie. Well, Kit, it's hard for me to apologize, but anything I may have said today, I didn't mean it. Forget it. I know you must hate me, Kit, but if you could find it in your heart to forgive me. Of course I forgive you, Millie. I'm not even angry anymore. Thank you. Millie, how about a big glass of nice flat champagne? <laughs> Do you think I should? Oh, come on. It'll be good for both of us. Well, it's been a sort of strange day, hasn't it? That's one way of putting it. I didn't expect you back so soon. I, I thought you'd be out celebrating with Rudd. Millie, brace yourself. Yes? Rudd is getting married, but not to me. He's going to marry Deirdre. Deirdre? Are you joking? No, Millie. I'm not joking. Deirdre and Rudd. But they don't even know each other. Oh, do they? Oh, I can't believe it. Oh, now, don't be upset, Millie. Deirdre was bound to marry someday, and Rudd couldn't be nicer. As a matter of fact, aside from Preston, Rudd's the only other man I ever wanted to marry. And I'm just conceited enough to think that that means something. Well, but it wouldn't have worked out. You know that, Kit. You're probably right. Oh. 
Oh, my goodness. Millie, what is it? This changes everything. My new book. You see, it's about two women, friends. Practically brought up together. They have their ups and downs and finally... You mean like us? Oh, the characters are purely imaginary, but... Well, in a way, yes. Millie, you never cease to amaze me. Oh, no, really. It's your not marrying Rudd and both of us finding ourselves lonely. If I finish it that way, well, of all my books, it'll be the first sad ending I've ever written. Well, you've always said you wanted to write what you call an artistic plot. Oh, but the public doesn't want a sad ending from me. Two women left all alone like this. What are you going to call it? I'm not sure. I've had several ideas. What do you think about Old Lang Syne? Well, if it's about us, why not Old Acquaintance? Old Acquaintance. Of course, Kit. Old acquaintance. Let's drink to that, Millie. The curtain falls on old acquaintance. And three old acquaintances of ours are coming forward for, for a curtain call. Miriam Hopkins, Alexis Smith, and Otto Kruger. Well, I'm very glad to be back, Mr. DeMille. Although for a few days, I didn't think I'd make it. That old devil train trouble? I was in New York and Mr. DeMille wired. Fortunately, I got the last train that had reached here in time for rehearsal. Yeah, I know what you mean. Years ago, when I was on the road with theatrical companies, I always had trouble getting to the next town. Oh. Hmm. No reservations then, either, huh? No money. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I suffered from a slight touch of that myself in the old days. These talented youngsters like Alexis Smith who make a hit overnight, they, they don't know that long, hard road, Otto. Well, I'd better wait and see if I'm still around in 30 years before I say anything. <laughs> I'm betting on you, Alexis. By the way, how, how much did you make in your, your first job in the theater? Nothing. It was a college show. I, I can beat that. I made $9 a week. <laughs> well, I worked for my father, so he gave me a break and paid me ten. How about you, Miriam? Well, I made a little more, but then I don't think you could have held down the first job I had. Oh, I don't know. Well, how would you look as a ballet dancer? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I always use luck soap. So do I. <laughs> Lux has been my complexion care for years, Mr. DeMille. I wouldn't be without it. Then I guess I'm in the right company. I'm a Lux soap fan from way back. Oh, that's, uh, that's two more prize portraits in the Lux beauty gallery. Got a play for next week yet, C.V.? Yes, Otto. A famous story that has now become a screen classic, too. The new 20th century Fox picture, Jane Eyre. And our stars will be Orson Welles and Loretta Young. The, the novel by, by Charlotte Bronte has been read for a hundred years. The picture is a current success. And next Monday night, you will hear Loretta Young as the gallant Jane Eyre and Orson Welles repeating his fine screen performance as Edward Rochester in this immortal love story. It's always been one of my favorites, Mr. DeMille. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Fine acting like yours always makes an encore. Oh.
Our sponsors, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday night when the Lux Radio Theater presents Loretta Young and Orson Welles in Jane Eyre. This is Cecil B. DeMille saying good night to you from Hollywood. Ladies and gentlemen, large amounts of medicines for American fighting men are literally thrown away every day. Does that startle you? As long as an ounce of waste kitchen fat is thrown away, medicine that might be made from that fat is destroyed too. Remember, on the eve of invasion, our fighting men need our help more than ever. Now is the time to redouble our effort. Keep a handy tin can near the stove and save all the waste fat in your kitchen. Your butcher will pay you four cents a pound, besides giving you two red ration points. The need is urgent. The motion picture, Old Acquaintance, was made by Warner Brothers, producers of Mr. Skeffington, starring Betty Davis. This is the newest in Betty Davis' long record of Warner Brothers hits, and it opened on Broadway with a gala premiere last week. Otto Kruger will soon be seen in the RKO picture, Farewell, My Lovely. Heard in tonight's play were Robert Bailey as Rudd, Gloria Fisher as Deirdre, B. Benaderet as Miss Carter, and Charlotte Treadway as Harry. This program is broadcast to our fighting forces overseas, through cooperation with the Armed Forces Radio Service. Our music was directed by Louis Silbert. Three bells for three great shows. Same time, same station. Listen tomorrow night for George Burns and Gracie Allen and their guest star, Betty Grable. Listen Wednesday night for Frank Sinatra singing I'll Be Seeing You. Gene Kelly will be Frank's guest. This time, Lux Time. Every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday for the tops in entertainment. And this is your announcer, John M. Kennedy, reminding you to tune in again next Monday night to hear Orson Welles and Loretta Young in Jane Eyre. <laughs>